0: Stinger call, but Flair pokes his eyes only for sting to stag only for tink ah. <laughs> stings to stag or ting to tag. <laughs> Jeez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days, and not-so-good old days, of World Championship Wrestling series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and joining me from an opaque steel chamber may or may not be Alec Bridgen. How's it going tonight, Al? Radioactive material decayed at all yet?
1: No, I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny my existence, but trust me, I'm definitely something.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> Tonight, we are taking a look at a Nitro episode for the very first time. Specifically, the July 29th, 1996 episode. Which, uh, interestingly enough, I found out that's labeled episode 29 of Nitro.
1: I noticed that, yeah. And it's on
0: the 29th.
1: That is very weird.
0: (laughs) Interesting coincidence. So, this is rare, but I'm going to just put an advisement out here. Okay. If you haven't seen this episode, and you feel like you might want to watch it, I advise you to pause this podcast here, and go and watch it. It's a very unique episode, and it's worth watching before hearing us discuss all the individual parts, so you get to react to it as it comes. So, go on. We'll be here when you get back. Okay, all good? Alright, here we go. This episode of WCW Monday Nitro aired from Disney MGM Studios now Disney Hollywood Studios, in Orlando, Florida. Now, I've been there quite a few times, but I can't say that I ever caught a WCW show, not on my radar back then.
1: No. It is kind of funny to think that they're doing a show in Orlando as studios, I believe, is that where the TNA used to record all the time? They would do it at that big area where Disney Quest was. Oh, okay, in in downtown Disney. Different than MGM Studios,
0: but another part of Disney World then. Gotcha, yeah. Okay. Did you ever end up at one when I was at an MGM, by the way?
1: No, I'm never much of a Disney person. I've been to the parks when I was a kid, but yeah, this would have been when I was 13, so I don't think I was really a park person.
0: Well, the episode earned a TV rating of 3.0, which was quite a bit better than the WWF Raw rating of 2.1. We are a few weeks into WCW's famous winning streak in the ratings, which would last over a year and a half. According to WrestlingData.com, the episode was filmed in front of a crowd of 450 fans who were in for a bit of a different show than they might have been expecting.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: Back at Bash at the Beach 1996, a few weeks prior, the NWO formed. But despite the shock of Hulk Hogan's heel turn, WCW is still mostly behaving as though things are business as usual. Mm-hmm. But are they? To find out, let's go to the ring. Explosions. More explosions. Even more explosions. Excitement. WCW Monday Nitro's opening, featuring video of wrestlers projected on buildings while Pyro goes off basically everywhere, is definitely dynamic and iconic. (laughs) Even the logo
2: detonates.
1: Yes. By the way, I believe, just for contrast, I believe that footage with the backlot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Universal, I believe. I I think, yeah, you were telling me that. I'm not even sure that's the Universal Backlot.
0: That is tremendously ironic given where they're filming today.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show as yet more Pyro goes off. He introduces his co-host, the living legend Larry Zabisco. Both of them are wearing very nice Disney World polo shirts with Mickey Mouse logos. Tony talks up a few of the matches on tonight's card. We've got world champ The Giant versus Arn Anderson. Cruiserweight champ, Ray Mysterio Jr. versus Eddie Guerrero, and the American Males versus the Steiner Brothers. Those sound pretty fun. Looking forward to those. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. So, what's your take on WSW's Disney World set, Al? We're, we're sitting there right in front of the main entrance, I believe, to MGM Studios.
1: It's a little weird, I'll definitely admit. It's just, yeah, it's a ring with a bunch of bleachers around it. And okay, as we'll cover it throughout the show, there's a tree just kind of there in the <laughs> yes. walkway.
0: I forget who it is that nearly runs smack into it. I think it might be Rick Steiner, because he's kind of looking behind him during his... I believe so, yeah. (laughs) For me, the big WCW letters behind the crowd were nice, but the outdoor atmosphere is a little strange. The entrance ramp, like you said, is weirdly positioned, with the palm tree stuck in the middle of it. And the stands just kind of bother me. Yeah. It looks more like a high school football field kind of setup, not a normal arena. Just they've got it glitzed up a little bit, like for homecoming
1: right right. it's kind of like if you watch early ring of honor shows they will record in like the nicer high school gyms yeah so it's basically the same setup except behind them in ring of honor shows you have a wall Mm -hmm. and you know you have the flags of the hopefully your team is good and has flags for when you won a tournament or something (laughs) hopefully not every school is so lucky yeah or is this just yeah it just you can see the lovely orlando air and it is a little weird they just stuck big WCW letters on the MGM. Right, they're just, yeah. just above the, like, not the ticket
0: booth, but where, where they where they check your tickets to come yeah, in. Yeah. I think that's where it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just got big old WCW on the top of that. Somebody got to have fun climbing up there and lugging those up.
1: <laughs> I will say for all the crap that WWF gets for doing WrestleMania 9, they say it's at Caesars Palace, but it's in the parking lot in mm-hmm. front of Caesars Palace. This isn't exactly, like, much glitzier.
0: Right, yeah. Admittedly, this is Nitro, not right. Starcade. Tony brings up the NWO, saying that WCW is under attack. Larry dubs the NWO the New World Odor. I love Larry's Abisco, but that line is not anywhere near as clever as he repeatedly thinks.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's like not quite a dad joke, but it's not much better than that. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't be so bad if he only said it the one time, but he's just all throughout the show. New world odor, new world odor, new world odor. And he emphasizes odor, like, just in case you didn't get it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Larry says the NWO are picking their shots, mostly attacking WCW staff who can't defend themselves. He says they'd better study history or they'll be doomed to repeat it. Tony brings up the NWO's recent assault on Lex Luger when he was alone and throws to video of the NWO similarly attacking Sting outside an arena in Cincinnati. Apparently, it was shot and sent to WCW by the NWO's outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Luger and Sting are leaving the arena together. It's weird seeing Sting in a flannel shirt and white shorts, by the way. Yeah, very weird. No, no face paint or anything. just nope. Yeah. Luger's called back in for a phone call, which Tony intimates was probably fake. And Nash and Hall sneak up on Sting while he's loading things into his car trunk and beat him up. Now, normally, I would doubt that Kevin Nash, of all people, would be able to sneak up on anyone, but it is the universe's most oblivious and trusting man, Sting. Yeah, so, yeah. Fair enough.
1: And he wasn't wearing his pants at the tassels that I'm sure make lots of noise. Right, right,
0: yeah. <laughs> Tony assures us that Sting is okay, and he only had minor injuries, and calls it a cowardly attack. He says, WCW doesn't know what to expect, but they've got some tremendous action planned tonight. So, let's get started with that tremendous action with match one, Mike Enos of Rough and Ready versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. The referee for this one is Jimmy Jet.
1: Duggan has been fighting off and on with Dick Slater, who's the other half of Rough and Ready, which we saw him back at Slamboree, 96. Mm -hmm. That great show. Right. It's part of that elaborate music tournament they had. Yeah, yeah. I will note, for historical purposes, Mike Enos is important to wrestling history. Mike Enos is one of the two people in the ring when Scott Hall first appears.
0: Yes, on May 27th, 1996, Nitro, right? Yes. Yeah, he was in a match against Steve Dahl, a man so notable that I didn't realize he existed until I read that statement. Yes. Yes. Enos, at least we have seen before, though he's not generally wowed us as a wrestler. No. (laughs) But dang if his entrance music isn't awesome. Mm -hmm. It's like pure epic cowboy movie goodness. Yes. They should have used that for Spring Stampede.
2: Yeah, they
1: should have. He has
0: a pretty decent uh, snake-themed vest, too. I like the design on that. Tony notes the absence of Colonel Robert Parker, who normally manages Enos, and talks about Parker romancing Sister Sherry, manager of Harlem Heat. That is a long-running angle in 1996.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely have to cover that at some point on at least one show.
0: I'm pretty sure more like three or four shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Duggan's usual flag and two-by-four waving entrance interrupts Larry's train of thought as he's responding to Tony, and he gives a very you reaction now.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: not hacksaw. <laughs>
1: That, that's, that's generally my feeling, my fears, yes. Tony talks
0: up another match for tonight. We'll have Mongo, Benoit, and Flair versus Luger, Savage, and Sting. He says, no one can be trusted right now, and Flair's loyalty to WCW is in question. Larry says, even though he says don't trust anyone, he doesn't think Flair's the one to worry about. Tony disagrees, feeling that Flair is an opportunist and likes to be the center of attention, so he may well join the NWO. Duggan goes after Enos with the 2x4, but the ref holds him back and takes it. Enos attacks Duggan from behind, but Duggan clotheslines him outside, then gets a USA chant going. As far as I can tell, Enos is from Minnesota. Last time I checked, that was part of the United States.
1: I mean, it's close to Canada? (laughs)
0: Larry wins Al's MVP award by comparing Duggan to a brontosaurus, big but with the brain the size of a pea. Yeah, not wrong. (laughs) Back in, Enos takes off his vest so you know things are serious. Oh, yeah. They trade shoulder blocks and headbutts amidst a USA chant. Minnesota, people. And Duggan wins the slugfest with an atomic drop. But Enos pulls down the ropes on a charge and Duggan spills out. Enos sloppily slams Duggan to the concrete and breaks his eyes. Back in, Enos wins the slugfest and hits quite a nice jumping leg drop. He does. We get another USA chant still from Minnesota. (laughs) Enos wastes time after a knee strike for one. Enos reverse chin lock, but Duggan keeps the arm up on the third check, but Enos cuts off a comeback with a knee strike. Another USA chant, maybe Canada annexed Minnesota for a bit in 1996? I don't recall. Yeah, I don't remember that being in any history books. Duggan hacksaws up, but they collide on a whip and both go down for five. Duggan's sunset flip for two as he pulls the tights to expose far more of Mike Enos than I wanted to see. Enos neckbreaker for two. And Tony wonders if the four empty seats in the front row are for the NWO. Larry points out there's only three members. And Tony says he's expecting someone else to join. I wonder if that was a slip that he then covered or if it was just him building the story of suspicion.
1: Yeah, I can go either way on no, that, honestly. the With how much we know they tell... Him in advance. Yeah, yeah. Later shows. Enos suplex, but Duggan
0: dodges a top rope splash and hacksaws up again, clubbing away in the corner. But Enos sneaks in a knee strike when Jet warns Duggan. Enos beats Duggan up in the corner and earns a warning too. And while Jet's back is turned, Duggan produces a roll of tape, sloppily wraps up his fist, and slugs Enos for the three count and the win. Jet clearly clearly yes, sees the roll of tape dangling from Duggan's hand as he raises Duggan's arm in victory, but just kind of gives a quizzical look, like, oh well, I guess rolls of tape just spontaneously appear sometimes. Larry accurately points out that Duggan did just use an illegal object to win, although I will admit I'm not sure how much good a three-second sloppy tape wrap did Duggan, really. <laughs> Thoughts on this one?
1: It's all right. It's pretty nothing, honestly. Uh, it's a lot of punching and kicking. There's not a lot of sort of technical flashiness here, which it's not even really expect to be fair from a match from Duggan. Unless there's like a Duggan-Benoit match, which there probably must be at some point. I would imagine. Statistically speaking, there'd have to be one. Or like a, a Duggan-Flair match, Flick-Flair in his prime. It could be interesting in that respect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You sort of hinted at that, but that body slam on the outside is interesting because it's, Weird, because he's trying to, I think he's trying to be safe.
0: Yeah, he simultaneously looks like he's being safe and like he almost drops him. Yes. Which is not a good combination.
1: <laughs> yeah, because so you want a body slam to look as realistic as a body slam can be, obviously. Even with that move, there's some helping. You want it to be a quickly grab the guy, roll him over, and even if you aren't actually doing it, you want the visual of him being like thrown down like he's being shoved off a building or something. That's what you're going for. Right. He does the wind-up part really slowly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I think his goal is to get Duggan, like, I don't know, three inches off the ground, maybe, yeah. and just let go and drop him. So he's not even slamming him.
0: Like you said, I think he's really going for safety, but he's going so slow that it almost becomes unsafe because of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, because he almost loses control at the end of you, as you, yeah. as you know, when we first saw it. Like Zabisco, <laughs> like I really take issue with the fact that Duggan, just like it's slammed 96, by the way. Mm-hmm cheats to win mm-hmm. yeah, he cheats multiple times he cheats by pulling the tights mid-match too yeah yeah it's just so weird i can't get because this is the whole idea that you know there's this whole blurred lines of face and heel thing we think of with like the nwo when they start to get popular with certain fans mm-hmm. and they're get cheered over wcw wrestlers or under event russo where everyone's kind of an <laughs> a- <laughs> is that how some of the shows get with yeah with yeah. the writing but here we have Duggan regularly doing all this sort of cheating and they're going, Oh, that's weird. Oh well. Doo ba doo ba doo. Don't care. Yeah,
0: it's 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 strange. It's like, you know, he cheats openly multiple times during the match. So is he a face or isn't he? I expect that kind of
1: ambiguity from
0: nineteen ninety nine or two thousand, but not so much here. <laughs> right.
1: I will say, to be fair to Enos, after you know, really tearing apart that body slam he does, his I'm dead self and that punch is really good.
0: Yes. He does an excellent job with that, and like I said, that leg drop he did was picture perfect, just yeah. really, really nice.
1: Absolutely.
2: He
0: really throws himself into the um, top rope body splash, too, uh, midway through the match. Yeah. He doesn't, like, hold back on it because he knows he's going to hit the ground or anything. He just goes for it. Exactly. Yeah, I thought this wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Duggan at least got the crowd going with USA chants, even if those made little sense. And Enos had a m- much better showing than way back at Wrestle War.
1: That's the show. I can't remember which show that, yeah.
0: Where he's in the mask as the uh, replacement skyscraper.
4: Oh, right, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. He controlled much of the match and got to land some pretty good strikes, a nice leg drop, and quite a nice suplex as well. Still, it's mostly two big guys clubbing each other without much of a plot. It is very weird, by the way, how every time Enos cuts off a Duggan comeback, it's with a knee strike. Huh. Just every single time.
1: No, that's true, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Vary it up a little bit, folks. (laughs) Still, I think this did a pretty decent job of getting the crowd into the show, which was his main point. You know, you get Duggan out there, they can have fun chanting, and that's all
1: you really need. Right. I think for me, if I'm going to see more Mike Enos matches, which I don't know if he will as much a pay-per-view, because he's not a big mainstay of that, I could see him working well with a more intense wrestler like a Benoit, for instance. Mm -hmm. Or even go for a Clash style thing, have him and Eddie Guerrero. So you have Eddie could do his higher spots. Remember, Mr. Deer could be good. Yeah. Because he's a solid hand in the ring. There's nothing other than him overdoing the body slam attempt, as we said, trying to make it safe and making it unsafe. He's not bad. He's not no. bad. He's just not exciting in the ring. Just don't put him in a mask and he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a whole, he's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Same with Duggan. I think Duggan, I mean, I'm never going to be a big fan of his. I've seen a lot of his stuff over the years. and Nothing's wowed me about him. But again, he's never, other than the fact that he openly teaches the face, he's not bad. Perfectly
0: serviceable big man wrestler. I think that's like, both of them fall into kind of that category that I don't think I would ever see them as central to a show, but you put them in the ring, they can do their part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, he'd be interesting with the classic style sort of heel wrestler, like when you have heel Ultimo Dragon, that obviously is not my ideal Ultimo Dragon match, but I could see that working interesting. It'd
0: be a fascinating match. Yeah. I could see that being an interesting thing to watch. For sure. Tony tells us that's Pep Boys' power pin of the week. Should they not wait until the end of the show to determine which pin gets their award? Way to rush to judgment, Pep Boys.
1: Oh, Duggan slipped into five.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah. Had to cheat on that, too. Exactly, like yes yeah. yeah. He's consistent. But yeah, it'd be one thing if this were like a pre-taped show. And you could say the awards committee watched the unaired version and then voted, and then they put it in the version for airing, but Nitro's live. Yes. So whoever was handing out these awards saw Duggan land a punch with a taped fist and was like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to see anything that tops that. That's not an award, that's an indictment. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But, you know, they're probably safe. It's not like someone's going to hit one of the most terrifying finishers ever later on this very show.
1: No. Can't imagine.
0: Tony throws to Mean Gene Okerlund, who is in the ring with Duggan.
5: And I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live from Orlando. This is Nitro, and there's a lot of things happening. Very heavy security, by the way, I should point out, around this particular facility here at Disney MGM. Hacksaw Jim Duggan coming off a victory. Highly questionable, but I think we've got other things to talk about. Namely, the new world order. What's your take on what's going on right now? a sec, folks. Hold on a second. You know, everybody's
6: just wondering, Hulk, what have you done? What have you done to us? Not just your friends, not just your family, not just your countrymen, but as fans, Gene, the young kids that really looked up to you, that really believed in your Hulkster. I've been with you for almost 20 years. I've gone to the Make-A-Wish Foundation with you. I've been to the Special Olympics. I know what's in your heart. So what's wrong with you, Hulk? Why turn your back on everything that you used to love? Why turn your back on everything that loved you? I don't understand. I had you over to my home. Genie's held my two little girls in his arms. The first word my oldest spoke was Hulkster. I've got to look her in the eye and tell her what kind of man you are. Hulkster, you're a great technical wrestler, but I don't want to wrestle you.
7: I want to beat you up.
5: All right, I thank you, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I'm not certain we can use the analogy, but it might be appropriate. You take a good apple, you put it into a basket of bad apples, and, well, enough said. Stay tuned as WCW Monday Nitro continues here on TNT.
0: Okay, I doubt that anyone's first word was Hulkster. Mm -hmm. Seems a little tough for a baby. And I'm also not sure that I would describe Hogan as a technical wrestler. No. But, oh my gosh, Duggan otherwise knocked it out of the park here. Mm -hmm. He really got across this sense of confusion and anger at Hogan's betrayal of WCW, and he brought in several personal touches to get across the closeness of their friendship and how big a change this was for Hogan. He really comes across as a man who knows he's just lost a friend, and he's had enough time to think about it, but he hasn't made peace with it. Mm-hmm. The camera work here, too, I really liked. It zooms in close, which I think enhances the sense of discomfort.
2: Yeah. Let's see that.
0: I really, really liked this promo. Duggan normally gives more fun-loving or silly kind of promos, so hearing him do one like this was really neat. Yeah. We do get a, a bit of a strange use of the bad apples analogy from Gene at the end, though.
1: <laughs> a bit, yeah.
0: I think he mixed it up. It's normally one bad apple spoils the bunch, not one good apple falls in with bad ones and gets spoiled.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not quite how that works.
0: <laughs> the latter's a, a bit less impactful.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, it's really good. There's like there's some weird word choices, like the kid's first word being Hulkster, mm-hmm. or like, they turned his back on his country.
0: Uh, countrymen. He He does say countrymen.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's true. That's still weird to bring that part up. It's
0: a little bit, but I mean, it is dug in the whole USA thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he thinks that WCW is the USA. Oh. And that's why he gets the USA chance going against actual American wrestlers from time to time. It's like, they're bad in WCW. Therefore, they're not from the USA.
1: Oh, is that why they say the WCW? It's like the USA. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think we've cracked the code. Wow, now it's not annoying anymore. <laughs> Wait, now it still is. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good to see someone like him who obviously, and if he's not thought of as a big promo guy, obviously he's cut promos of any kind for, what, 10, 15 years probably at this point? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: he's had quite a career.
1: Yeah. It's not, like, it's not like they pull some random guy and say here cut a promo. He knows how to put emotion in when he actually needs to. Right, Which is nice, yeah.
0: And this this one I think stacks well with the past few weeks of Nitros, as I recall, they've been having people cutting promos like this again, reacting to the Hogan turn. Ray Mysterio has a great one where he ends it with "He betrayed us." Yeah, there's a lot of nice kind of harder hitting promos than you normally get mm-hmm. from a lot of people, and and some that you're not used to doing a lot of promo work on WCW shows. But then, yeah, Duggan I think is a very good choice to then kind of evolve it. That. He may be, I'm not absolutely sure, but I think he might be the first one that has had such a long-running relationship with Hogan.
1: Hmm, yeah, it might be.
0: The only other one I can remember is uh, Kevin Sullivan has one, but his is a bit different. His is, you know, I was trying to destroy Hulkamania, and he destroyed it himself. Yeah, right. So it's a little bit more supervillain promo, where Duggan is the first, like, long-time friend, I think, that
1: they really have. I mean, the most long-term one you can get would be uh, Ed Leslie, and I... not sure I want to hear Leslie try to do the same kind of... Doesn't seem like it'd be as powerful. No. Yeah. (laughs) He could surprise me. He could. He could. It seems unlikely, yeah. Yeah.
0: We cut to our first commercial break on a video from last week's Nitro, featuring the horseman making an entrance and Arne Anderson checking a white limo looking for Flair, as Bobby Heenan can be heard assuring Bischoff that if Flair isn't here, he's got a good excuse.
7: Ooh, he's like to keep my favorite snack handy. Need a little excitement? Step into a Slim Jim! Oh yeah!
0: (laughs) Back from commercial, we get a commercial.
2: (laughs)
7: Yes.
0: Randy Savage rips the front off a locker to retrieve some Slim Jims. Then, Tony talks up WCW Saturday Night, which apparently is about experiments in cybernetic arm design, according to its footage.
1: It feels like B roll from Terminator 2.
0: Yeah. Back to the ring for our second match, as Tony tells us, this is the match we were scheduled to have last week, but didn't because of the Flair situation. Correct, yeah. So our second match is The Horseman, that's The Nature Boy, Rick Flair, Steve Mongo McMichael, and Chris Benoit, accompanied by Deborah McMichael, Elizabeth, and Woman, versus Sting, Lex Luger, and The Macho Man, Randy Savage. The referee for this one is Nick Patrick
1: kind of funny for contrast that all three of the heels have their own manager. Yes. And none, none of the three faces have a manager. It's like
0: the ultimate expression of faces don't have managers, heels do, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. laid <laughs> out pretty well. As far as story goes, other than the canned Flair with Trusted stuff, obviously you have Sting and Flair. If you know anything about wrestling, you know Sting and Flair have been fighting at this point for about 10 years now. And they've traded their world title a couple of times between each other at this point. Sometimes in very ill-fitting mask. Yes, that's there's also that, yeah.
0: I try to forget the black scorpion, as yeah, much as possible. Much like Mike Eno's, Flair should not
1: wear a mask. Yes. Really affect his breathing, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Scratch his poor nose in there. <laughs> so but yeah, as far as Savage goes, at this point, Savage and Flair have traded the world title three times between each other on sets of shows. Mm-hmm. So obviously, there's a lot of animosity there.
0: And I believe there's an angle going on where... uh Flair is spending Savage's money as Correct. well, right? Yeah. Because Savage and Elizabeth used to be married and got divorced. And I yeah. guess I think the idea is like she got Savage's money in the divorce and Flair's spending it all.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's a little weird because, yeah, because I believe the timeline is they actually divorced in like 93, 94. Yeah. And, but then he comes into to WCW on the show we've seen, they're not together, but they definitely eventually come aligned officially because... She she turns on him.
0: Right, yeah. She spends the first month or two, I think, that she's there. She's aligned with Savage. Yes. And then at Super Brawl, I think is I where so. is where the turn happens, if I recall
1: correctly. The dangerous high heel shoe.
0: Yes. Death. One of many dangerous high heeled shoe attacks.
1: Yes. <laughs> also, as you know from watching the shows, at this point, we're still in kind of a long running story where Lex Luger is a good guy, but really only because he's with Sting. Mm-hmm. He's kind of becoming nicer and coming more of fan favorite on his on his own, but he's definitely still. I'm friends with Sting, so he's a face. So I'm. That's why I'm doing this. Not so much that I love the fans. Yeah, he's he's leaned more towards face recently because I think after
0: Uncensored, they start to turn him more face. Yes, but he still recently has been a heel, or yeah, recently they, has been like between face and heel.
1: Yeah, they they famously turned the botch, if you believe it is one, and Uncensored '96 into part of the story.
0: Yeah. I do have to, once again, say at this point, the Luger Sting stuff from 1996 is absolute gold. If you have not watched the 96 Nitros, they are worth it for that alone, even if nothing else awesome happened on them, and frequently awesome stuff does happen on them. Yeah. But, oh my gosh, the the Luger and Sting stuff is just comedy gold. Just yeah. brilliant stuff.
1: The best bit, of course, is Sting is walking to the ring, Luger behind him. Sting yes. is, Sting is slapping fans' hands in the way. Luger is not... Until the thing looks at direction, then he's like he starts high fiving people it's, and then stops once the thing looks away.
0: I love that bit, love that bit. The horsemen come out to Flair's theme. Mongo has an awesome four horsemen shirt on, and Flair has a great sparkly green and gold robe. Deborah is front and center, though, in a gold dress. Uh, Arn Anderson, Tony informs us, is not present because of his world title match against the Giant later tonight. Sting, Luger, and Savage enter to Sting's theme. Savage has a bright green outfit, mm-hmm. and Sting's is a neat sort of sky blue and red. It is, yeah. Luger wears black tights and white boots. Come on, man, get some glitter. Bow to peer pressure.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: I, I am astonished that they managed to do like a six or seven month angle or more with Sting and Luger. You know, palling around and teaming up repeatedly, and I think there's precisely one time that Luger wears face paint. Yes, and all of that—it's <laughs> like that is some solid
1: maintenance of your identity, man. <laughs> yeah, they get him in the uh, the like the military face paint, right, for Fall Brawl, I believe. Oh, okay, then there might be two because okay.
0: I think there's the one for Fall Brawl, and then I believe for the Bash at the Beach match, they all wear Sting face. Oh, paint. Oh, you're
1: right. Yeah, yeah, that is that's true. Yeah,
0: Macho charges Flair, and everybody brawls as we cut to commercial. Glacier is coming. During the break, Patrick restored order, so the match proper starts with Sting and Benoit. Sting dominates, so Benoit tags Flair, who stops Sting from tagging Savage, but immediately regrets it, as Sting sends him to the apron to Luger, who sends him to the Florida Savage, who beats him up by a VIP table, and dumps fruit on him.
1: Yeah, I think the VIP table was supposed to be part of that story. I think so.
0: Flair keeps buying a little VIP table with fruits and wines and stuff on it, and will often just go over there and sit there during a match just to taunt Savage.
1: Because I believe there's the one show we've actually covered where it's, it's Sting and the Giant.
0: Ah, uh, Slambury 96, yeah. There's the VIP table there, and Giant goes over to try and chokeslam Sting on it, but Luger covers the table with Jimmy Hart, I think. Yes,
1: that's the one, yeah.
0: <laughs> Flair flees inside, and Sting press slams him. Sting call, but Flair pokes his eyes, only for Sting to tag Savage. Flair freezes dead in his tracks. Great moment. Mm -hmm. Less great. Larry says he's shocked Savage hasn't gone out to choke Miss Elizabeth. Ah. Tony says, that's a good point.
1: Is it? No, I'm going to say no on that one. Yeah. No.
0: Flair kisses Elizabeth just to tick Savage off. Savage charges, but Mago intercepts, and Flair tries to ram Savage into the ring post, but apparently fails off camera. Yeah. Macho beats Flair up in the corner, so Flair flees to the ramp, oddly trying to hide momentarily before just giving up and begging for mercy. Macho is fresh out, so Flair's face meets the bleachers. Yeah. There's a weird bit where he goes to hide. I I wonder if he thought something was going to be back there that he could yeah. use for a bit of a spot, but he didn't actually know.
1: He could have at least tried to get behind the tree. That's why it's there. Yeah, yeah. It could in the cartoon where he goes behind the tree and he fully disappears.
0: Don't don't make this into a Norman smiley match, man. <laughs>
1: I wanted to prove it with my match. I can't help it.
0: Tags to Mongo and Luger, and Mongo works headlocks. Larry implies that Tony was making fun of Mongo's face while doing so himself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mongo stumbles on a whip and falls through the ropes, but at least lands safely. That was definitely a botch, but he recovered well. Yeah. Tag to Flair, but Luger no sells chops and punches. Luger roars, and Flair freaks out. Luger press slam, an awkward clothesline to a charging Benoit, and a beautiful stalling suplex on Flair for two and a half, but Flair pokes his eyes and tags Benoit, who stomps Luger to paste in the corner. (laughs) Savage takes Benoit down, and Patrick has to dodge as they fight around him. As Patrick ushers Savage out, Flair sneaks in to break Luger's eyes, and the horsemen trap him in their corner, but he escapes, clotheslines Flair, and keeps on running to tag Sting. (laughs) <laughs> Very smooth. Oh, yeah. Sting bites Flair, and Larry jokes that Flair still had grapes on his head from earlier. Yeah, why not? Sting hip toss, drop kick, and a superplex for two, as Benoit saves. Sting sunset flip for zero, as Flair gets the ropes, tags Mongo, and slugs Sting. A rather crappy Mongo elbow drop, but he makes up for it with a monstrous clothesline and backbreaker. hmm the horseman earn two counts off of Benoit back elbow, Benoit back suplex, and Flair's mat wrestling, but Sting bridges out and backslides Flair for two. Benoit saves again, and Flair chop blocks Sting's knee and slaps on the figure four, getting extra leverage from woman. Flair makes the mistake of slapping Sting, who flexes, roars, and turns the hold over.
1: Will he ever learn to stop doing that?
0: He'll learn to stop doing that about the same time he learns to stop going to the top rope. Okay. So, never. Yes. <laughs> They roll to the ropes for the break. Sting rolls Flare up on a second figure four attempt for two, but Benoit is tagged in to work the leg and snap suplex Sting for two. Larry says he never liked Patrick, but Tony says he's consistently good. (laughs) That's going to change in a few weeks, right? Yes. (laughs) Benoit almost gets the lion tamer, but Luger saves. They say Boston Crab, but I swear it's definitely- Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Because the key is you have the one knee down further. Yeah.
0: He's totally going for Jericho's lion tamer, and I don't think Jericho's actually in the company
1: yet. Uh, no, I believe he's ECW at this point. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Flair's in, but Sting no-sells his strikes and tags Luger as Jimmy Hart suddenly appears at ringside, grabs the cameraman, and desperately yells about the outsiders. The cameraman makes his way backstage as Luger runs wild on the horseman. Hart is losing his mind trying to get Luger's attention, but Luger's too busy beating Flair up. Power slam, and he signals for the rack, but he finally looks over at Jimmy Hart. Briefly, he considers going after Flair anyway. It is difficult to stop beating up Rick Flair.
4: That's true, yeah.
0: But he decides to listen. Luger exits the ring to follow Hart and calls for others to come as well, as the match ends in a no contest. Before we go backstage, though, let's talk about the match. So, Al, your thoughts on this one?
1: I thought it was a pretty fun match. It was full of action, which is what you always want for this kind of thing. The advantage of this kind of match, kind of like we saw at, I think, Breed 97, is that the one I'm thinking of? The six-man match you really like? Yes. With Kevin Green? 97, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What works in matches like that, especially when you have, ironically in both cases, a football player who's not a regularly trained wrestler, is they can come in, do their big stuff they could do, and get out and keep the flow going. You can also sort of have more bumps through a match because people can just, again, just tag out mm-hmm. there for a while, whereas otherwise you have to, like with the superplex, you have to sell that longer, or you can tag out and sell on the floor. Right, yeah. Like with that match as well, there's a real like house show feel to this, mm-hmm. which is, I think maybe by interpret I'm saying as a negative way, which I'm really, in this case, I'm definitely not. I mean, this is just a TV match anyway, so... Correct, yeah, That yeah. that is true. That is the difference between... If you give me this instead of a world title match involving one of these people, I'd be like, well, why am I getting this instead? As fun as it is. But yeah, this is a TV match. None of these guys are the champions, so it's good to use everybody. Mm-hmm. You get Mongo some good exposure here. You get Benoit a good chance to show what he can do. Faces get to come in and out and do their own stuff. There's definitely a few miscues here and there like you talked about where I think Flair was trying to, like, hide under the bleachers, but there's no way to the bleachers, maybe? That's probably what—yeah, I hadn't
0: thought of that. He's probably trying to get underneath them. And then, oh, crap, there's a wall.
1: <laughs> there's also—understandable, like, but there's a bit of miscue covered fairly well. Right before the end with Luger, he's trying to press slam Benoit, well, but he doesn't quite get him upright. and yes. set him down and just does it better.
0: Yep, he— Recognize that he doesn't have his grip right, does the right thing, sets him back down, and then picks him right back up and does it for real.
1: Yeah, he doesn't do a warrior, just just let go and see what happens. (laughs) Right, yes. I really enjoyed this up until it stops, just because of the Mm storyline.
0: Yeah, I agree, this was a really fun uh, little match here. Good, solid, entertaining six-man match with just enough chaos that gave everyone some time to show off. Everyone seemed to really go full tilt from the start, which I was not expecting from a TV match, Mm -hmm. especially one that was going to end the way this does. It's quite long, too, but not so long that it gets repetitive or loses momentum. There's a few minor botches, but they always recover really fast, sometimes so fast that it's hard to be entirely sure it was a botch. True. You can tell that these are guys that have worked together a lot with only Mongo new to all of this. He's sometimes a tad awkward, but overall gets to look strong as well. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the back-and-forth feel of this one. And while the ending is a no contest, which normally we don't like, mm-hmm. I think it's well done and interesting, particularly as we're going to discuss where it's going to lead
1: to. And it's not that kind of no contest that you'll get but a million and a half of the next six, eight months. This is a no contest that adds to the story. Yeah, yeah. And adds to the mystery of what's yeah. going on. This yeah. isn't what the NWO ones where Here's a good match, and then they run and kicking people, and it's over.
0: And again this is a TV match, not a pay-per-view match. This is not where we're expecting it to be a conclusion to something. This is these guys are fighting to build up the storyline. So it's, one, it's more allowable to do a no contest, and two, this is a genuinely interesting way to do one.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking about this, and maybe you might feel differently. I'm torn on whether they should have actually opened the show this way. Because you'd have, hey, here's our big stars in the ring, here's this big match, watch this instead of Raw. Obviously, they still won the night, as you noted pretty well, but I could see this being a strong way to open the show. I could
0: see that. And I think Hacksaw's promo would work just as well after the NWO attack as well as... Mm -hmm. So I don't think it would interfere with anything that they did with that. I think maybe the only reason they didn't do it is that they wanted to have, as we'll discuss, the rest of the show be the disrupted matches. Right. So if you have Hacksaw versus Mike Enos afterwards. I mean, they could have maybe done it by implying that Mike Enos wasn't Hacksaw's original opponent either, or something like that, but that's the only thing I can see them maybe
1: wanting to do, is have enough before the show that, like, oh, we had a show plan, and then, oh gosh. That's what I was going to say. The, the other argument I can make against myself, ironically, would be that, yeah, you want the show to run X number of minutes, say 20, 30 minutes, normally, and then, well, pretty good cover happens, and it feels like the show is stopped because of that. Yeah. I can see that as well. But just at the thought that having the big star power open the show, absolutely, and they could be
0: no question. On any other night, I think this would be an excellent opening match. Yeah, I think it's just because of what tonight is that it doesn't go that way. Yeah, I, I really liked by the way, uh, that Luger is the one that Hart manages to catch the attention of mm-hmm. because Hart was formerly his manager. Yeah, so that was a nice, nice little storyline touch there.
1: Yeah, because obviously he wouldn't go to Benoit, because at this point he's put a bounty on him. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, don't ask Benoit for help. No.
0: But yeah, Luger, I, th- I think that was just a cool callback. Yeah. So yeah, quite a fun star-studded match. hmm absolutely.
1: They already announced in advance that Sting and Luger are going to be teamed up against Hall and Nash at the pay-per-view. Okay. Which is Hog Wild, which, confusingly, they call an unsanctioned match. Yes. I'm still not clear how that works on pay-per-view. The whole show has to be sanctioned, I would think. There's a referee in there that seems to represent some kind of sanctioning to the match. (laughs) You would think so. In their ring, on their show, on their time.
0: Yeah, I'm not quite sure what unsanctioned actually means in the context of one of these shows.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think they're going for the idea that they don't work for the company. Yeah. But then you get to know, oh, we're going to bring in two random guys that don't work here to have a match in our ring and on our show. Yeah. It could make a lot of sense. Oh, also worth noting that Sting and Luger were tag champions. They were in a match, which was interrupted by the NWO coming out. At that point, I think it's just Hall and Nash. Yes. Before Bash of the Beach. So they come out with bats, and during the distraction with them, and security, and must trying to stop them. There's a random roll-up pin by, I want to say Stevie Ray.
0: I think it might actually be Booker, but it might I, be. I can't remember which one it is, yeah.
1: But one of Harlem Heat pins Luger and wins the tag titles. And then sort of leaves quickly. Which on one hand is clever, because they're taking a very situation. But at the same time, this tag team title change is so... Such an afterthought. Oh, by the way, they won. Whatever. Who cares?
0: Yeah. Luger barely acknowledges it even. He's just like springs back up and glares at the NWO. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, devalues the tag titles a bit. But on the other hand, does actually help to get across the importance of this angle.
1: Yeah. This is the one case where I kind of feel that's a little bit forgivable. Yeah. I would have kind of liked... Him to be more initially instinct refocusing yeah. there? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that would sell it work. Yeah. yeah.
0: The cameraman has reached backstage, where Arn Anderson is down and hurt. So too is Marcus Bagwell, and standing over him are Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the outsiders, armed with baseball bats. They toss the bats down, looking satisfied. And Scotty Riggs runs out of a trailer to confront them, but notices Marcus down and is distracted long enough for Hall to grab what looks like a stage light. Yeah. When Riggs charges, Hall rams it into his face. That makes a good solid sound. It does, yes. Yeah. Ow. Heroically, Rey Mysterio dives off the trailer steps at Nash, but Nash catches him, hefts him on his shoulder, and flings him face first into the side of mm. the trailer like a dart. Quote Larry Zabisco. Yes. Holy crap, that looked brutal. Yeah. I, I still honestly have no idea how they did that without actually injuring Ray. That's a mostly uncontrolled fall then.
1: Yeah. He's able to get his hands up to mostly blunt the impact against the trailer itself. But there's nothing he can do about yeah. how he's falling from that point. Yeah, the way he could, what he really does, you have to really look at it, which is credit to him. Mm-hmm. It happens so quickly, you can't see it. And even still, I'm not trying to downplay it like it's oh yeah i could do that it's really easy because yeah. obviously no but he's able to just protect himself he's able to land on his feet and, and then kind of roll backward mm. rather than hitting like falling straight back from that
0: yeah absorb it in a lot of little shots rather than one big hit yeah yeah that's good
1: kind of the bright heart way of controlling your fall and slowing much of it yeah
0: <laughs> 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 laughing the outsiders make their way to a waiting limo Only for Randy Savage to charge into view and jump on top of the limo, reaching in through the sunroof as the limo drives away and out of sight. Yes. We turn back to the scene of the carnage, as Sting, Luger, and the horsemen and company have arrived, alongside a bunch of WCW medical staff. Everyone is shouting, but you can still hear Mongo loud and clear above it all. It's amazing. (laughs) He proclaims the outsiders can't just come in and do whatever they want. Apparently they can, dude.
1: Yeah. It has patterns at this point, yeah.
0: Eddie Guerrero has arrived as well, and so too has Alex Wright, just in case they needed someone to stand around reliably being German. hmm The commentators are thrown, and Tony decides to throw to an ad break, but just as he does, Sting yells to Guerrero, who's by Mysterio. Eddie, what happened? What's he saying? He says there's four, Eddie yells back. A pause, and he checks again and seems unsure, saying that there's three. Luger by Riggs calls for help as Riggs is not moving. We cut to break. Thoughts on this first segment here?
1: Uh, it's done quite well. It's interesting that I think they're going for realism here, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that means we don't see the attack on Anderson. Mm-hmm. So by missing part of it and not right. the key part, it seems like, oh, he really did just run back there and come and turn on just in time to see this.
0: You get the implication of previous carnage and then. You get to see some of it. So you, you get to see the attack, but they don't show the entire thing. Because like you said, the implication from Hart coming out mm-hmm. was this is already going on. Exactly. So so it's important that you don't actually see literally the beginning of it. Yes. Otherwise. Yeah.
1: yeah. If you get that, you you practically see the guy with the little clapper. Right. And Go. And then they start fighting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where this looks like, oh, this already started. And now the cameraman has just reached the back mm-hmm. to see it in progress. It really is well done that way. Yeah. This is a great, shocking segment. Justifiably one of the most famous in WCW history. In particular, the shot of Nash flinging Mysterio face-first into the side of the trailer is legend. Yes. It's brilliant stuff. It feels like an absolutely devastating backstage assault. That's despite the fact that relatively little carnage is actually shown on camera, with more just implied yeah. to have happened beforehand, as you said. It's a smart way to do it, I find... uh The more consecutive stunts that have to be accomplished on camera, the more chance that something goes wrong. True. And this absolutely must go right in order to have the impact that they want. But it did. Yes. Boy, did it ever go right. The immediate aftermath and the overwhelmed reaction of the WCW crew helps to emphasize the enormity of the situation. It feels different, Mm -hmm. though we're yet to see just how much so. The wrestlers save for Randy, TJ, Hooker, Savage, (laughs) seem completely shell-shocked, stunned and confused by what just happened. Which helps to build up that this is something more than your average faction attack that Mm -hmm. we've seen before. Eddie's sudden call that there were four, though he does backtrack, helps grab interest too, as WCW intelligently placed a new potential clue about the NWO Mm -hmm. right before the break, just to make sure you came back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this, especially if you watched this a couple days ago, you gotta kind of put yourself in a certain mindset, especially if you're watching this for the first time in, say, 2022, Mm -hmm. which is that at this point in history, 1996, we had the O.J. Simpson white Bronco chase. Yes. Famously, it's this long segment where their helicopters are following him, car driving the LA freeway, all this stuff's happening. It's kind of like a constant unbroken shot for, I don't know how long ago, but it feels like eternity. Yeah. On top of that, right around the time that cops is really hit a stride, mm-hmm. so with cops, you have you know they pull up on the scene, and they rush to the type a fight, or they're taking on a guy, usually it's some shirtless guy in front of a trailer because that is that's what cops is about uh, Jim Nightheart as we yes yeah, Jim <laughs> that, that kind of look yeah that exactly that, that's a very good yeah that's sort of the gritty level of violence that people were expecting if you're doing an attack that needs
0: to look like a real attack, yeah, there's a particular feel that you have to get for it yes and that's that's clearly what they're going for here it's like like you said like cops type of stuff where it's like this needs to not look planned this needs to look like an organic event that's just happening live Mm -hmm. and we've just stumbled upon it basically
1: for better or worse this is a real intentional push to get away from everything looking pre-planned and staged in pro wrestling Mm -hmm. like with face hogan he comes out really strong. Then you, you know, hit him low and you beat him up up until it's snap. And now it's time for the end of the match. Pop up. No seller thing. Big blue, let drop. He wins. Yeah. You can definitely yeah, put yourself in the mindset of this is what people are expecting, both as a fan base audience, you're expecting this kind of thing to happen for it to look real anything less than that. You're like, oh, I don't believe that. They're all just they're just mm-hmm. play fighting. You know, they're just holding a headlock and hitting their own arm and stuff. And on top of that, that's what the people behind the show are really going for.
8: Mm-hmm.
1: Rodney King, you have the police with batons, you know, surrounding, beating a guy with a stick in bright and broad daylight. Everyone sees it. That kind of, not directly what they're going for with the bat, but definitely that's a factor that, why well, they have the bat as mm-hmm. well. For better or worse, it's a very strong mid 90s, late 90s thing to do. Mm hmm. And I like even that the camera guy kind
0: of seems nervous about getting too close to at times and and stuff too. like, you know, Hall and Nash are saying things, but you don't always catch them very well because the guy's not going right up to them and being like, hello, Mr. Hall, can I ask for your thoughts on the brutal attack that you just perpetrated? Yeah. He's like, no, I'm going to hang back a little bit and we'll hear them just vaguely in the distance. (laughs) Right, right. This is clearly done in exactly the style they wanted, and they very much thought out exactly how to... How to make it look as realistic as they possibly could. Yeah. Well, still, obviously, it is a planned thing. These are planned spots, but they minimized the number of them so they didn't have to figure out how to make everything look real for that long.
1: Right. Like with Marcus Bagwell, for instance, he has to sell like he was hit in the knee or the leg somewhere in the area with a bat. Mm-hmm. So they can either use a real bat and have to cover it, you know, like not show the swing properly or show a bad angle or use a non-metal bat, which once you drop it, it's obvious it's not a metal bat. Mm-hmm. So by implying the attack on Arn, which must be like in the arm, I believe, Yeah, and then the leg attack, the ones that are hard to replicate without actually injuring somebody, that's sort of going to get away with that by doing what they did. Mm-hmm. I do have two questions about this, which will relate to the next parts as well. One, where is Hulk Hogan?
0: Yeah, I, w- I would assume in the limo.
1: Yes. Yeah, and the fourth man, I guess, supposedly in the limo as well, yeah, which
0: I, I would assume so. Yeah,
1: which we know for sure is not Flair because we know where he was the whole time.
0: Right now, we know for sure. Yeah,
1: the other is where is everybody else? Mm-hmm. I get the idea that the implication is that the outsiders, the limo comes up, they sort of ran out, attacked Arn, attacked Bagwell, and then all this stuff. The actual attack is fairly brief. It's not an extended segment. Yeah, you you can assume
0: that probably Jimmy Hart ran as soon as he saw the Outsiders yeah. arriving. So yeah, it's not much time passes between him appearing by ringside and then ending up backstage. Yeah. So I think you can assume that. The main question that I think you pointed out on the show is, wait, Jimmy Hart's there. None of his clients... No. ...are involved in being attacked. Yes. So where are all Jimmy Hart's... Got? Why, is it, why is Jimmy Hart there and none of his clients are there?
1: Right. Some of you can kind of fill in, like... Okay, so maybe Bagwell and Riggs were in that trailer, yeah. like doing their prep for whatever they're doing, like putting their makeup you know, makeup on, or whatever they're doing, because they're not in their gear yet. That's warming
0: up to their, uh, to their theme song.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Getting their cardio in for that. Maybe that trailer is like a trainer's room. Mm-hmm. Ray is stretching, and maybe Eddie's back when they're doing the same thing. And maybe Bagwell comes out first, gets attacked, and that's why Riggs come out behind him, and Ray's behind him but there's not a huge backstage area. This kind of thing would both work and not work in a big arena. Mm-hmm. Cause on one hand, their exit would be harder in a big arena because they had to go past those big True. gates to the limo. Unless they'll let them open, but that would be trickier. But at the same time, because it's this limited sort of outside area, with trailers like, where is the giant? Where are the, the, the doom people? And there's people that aren't on the show at all. Like, where are they? Like, the Har- Harlem Heat's not in the show anywhere. What are they doing on that? Yeah, I think there's fair questions on that. I don't think it takes away too much from it, just, but just something no. else it's question to ask, I think.
0: I think it's good that they restrained themselves on yeah. just how much carnage they showed, but sure. I almost do want to see, like, another two guys that are down before Anderson, or, yeah. or something like that, so you have a little bit more of a trail. One of Jimmy Hart's guys, I think, especially as the main yeah. thing. Like, pick one other Dungeon of Doom guy's have them down before Anderson. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I do like that partially resolves the Jimmy Hart situation mm-hmm. is Arn Anderson is the one member of the horsemen that the Dungeon of Doom has been willing to talk to. Okay. Historically, like throughout the shows leading to this point, he has conversed with Kevin Sullivan and he's conversed a bit with Jimmy Hart. Sure. So I can actually see the explanation for why Jimmy Hart's there and his guys aren't. Maybe that Jimmy Hart was talking to Arn Anderson. Okay. As like a, they don't ever say that as the yeah. problem, but. That makes me pull back a little bit in in that slight critique. But like you said, these are minor things. Yeah, yeah. And do not in any way spoil the awesomeness of the attacking.
1: There's always questions to ask in any segment, but yeah. Don't think I'm taking away from how impactful this is, yeah.
0: When we come back from ad break, medical staff are working on Arn as woman in tears, cradles his head. Interesting bit of foreshadowing, Arn is cradling his left arm. That's the arm that would suffer numbness and cease functioning later, mm. leading to his surgeries and ultimately to his retirement as a pro wrestler. Obviously, this is not the cause of that. Yeah, yeah. But it's was- just an interesting coincidence. Yeah, yeah. A fire truck arrives, and Doug Dellinger shows the emergency crew over. Could have used your can of mace, Doug. Yeah, right? <laughs> over with Mysterio, Eddie still insists that Mysterio said there were four NWO members. Someone, I think it's Alex Wright, is shocked because there's only three outsiders. Technically, only Nash and Hall are the outsiders. Tony notes that they only saw Nash and Hall, and Larry proposes that Mysterio was seeing double. (laughs) Fair enough, he did get smashed face-first into the trailer, so. Mongo is still hollering up a storm about justice. You gotta love Mongo. Mm -hmm. Woman, distraught, won't let anyone touch Arn. Mongo tells Arn, Hang in there, baby! That's very helpful, Mongo.
1: Yeah, you're an inspirational cat poster. (laughs) Yes.
0: I kind of want to see that now. uh.
1: (laughs) I'll I'll work on that for you. Yes.
0: Medical staff work on Mysterio putting on a neck brace as Eddie tries to get clarification on the number of attackers. Mysterio insists there's four. Tony says it could be anybody, even someone standing back there right now. The medical crew take Ray's mask off, and he shields his face, as Tony very nicely sells the enormity of Mysterio's unmasking, emphasizing that a masked wrestler in Mexico is never, ever seen unmasked. Mm -hmm. Back with Arn, Flair and the medical crew get him onto a spine board. Benoit does a genuinely great job in the background, looking completely broken up as he watches them work. Eddie wants to go with Ray in an ambulance, but Wright advises him to stay as Eddie has a match coming up. Eddie asks again what Ray means about four, and Wright says he'll let Eddie know and climbs into the ambulance to accompany Mysterio. Riggs, still unresponsive, is on a spine board with neck brace as well. Meng arrives and gets in Benoit's face. Not now, Benoit bellows at him, Mm -hmm. and Mongo joins in. Jimmy Hart calms things down. We cut to the commentary team, and Tony apologizes. He says, they aren't sure what they'll do for the show— with wrestlers who were going to compete now injured and being taken to the hospital, he notes they only actually saw Hall and Nash, and he wonders about the fourth man. He throws to commercial, saying, "We'll be back, I guess. We're we're coming back." As we see the medical staff putting an oxygen mask on Riggs. Thoughts on this part of it?
1: It's quite good. They definitely get the realism down, even to the point where Mang is still in character as the one who is against Ben because of the whole Horseman, Dungeon of Doom thing. It's kind of weird that he takes so long to show up and everything, but he's... Ming's on his own schedule, maybe. Yeah, yeah. No one tells Ming what time it is. Ming <laughs> tells you what time it is. I, I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah. The ball clocks in Ming's house are set to whatever the heck time he wants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the only thing that's... Again, getting in more nitpicky stuff, is that they're only given so much to do... Mm-hmm in the way things are done. So poor Eddie, for instance, talks about four guys like so much in a short yes. period of time.
0: I, I think it's there also that because they're cutting back and forth with commercial breaks and stuff, they're not sure when people might be tuning in. True. Okay. They need to make sure whenever you're tuning in, you hear the four guys line. Yeah. So Eddie has to repeat it a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. I will say, knowing who the actual fourth person is, it's hard to picture them actually being involved in the backstage assault. But... I. You know, if that's not important at this point of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think your point's pretty valid. Yeah, they're not sure when people are turning in. I guess it's kind to get into realism, maybe. They're not blocking these segments out into exact periods of time. So Alex Wright and Eddie are sort of standing around for a bit, having the same conversation. People do make good use of the time they have, though, mm-hmm. as a whole.
0: Yeah, and I like that they do have events like Meng's Sudden Arrival. that kind of break it up a little bit. True. It's starting to be, you know, a lot of nothing happening, but then all of a sudden, oh, Meng's there, and the horsemen nearly get in a fight with him. Yeah. So there's little things that still feel pretty realistic to have happen of, you know, tensions are high, a guy that already doesn't like another guy comes in, mm-hmm. that can raise the tension in the area a little bit, but also
1: adding those prevents it from becoming monotonous. Right, right. Which I think helps a lot. You know, it could maybe help become a big beacon of unity, the giant, perhaps. <laughs> yes. would <laughs> he's still, still getting his singlet on. Yeah, I, I think this
0: segment, to me, drives home just how different the NWO attack is. It establishes them as something greater than any of the factions that we've seen make war on each other in the past in WCW. You know, we've had the Four Horsemen, we've had the Dangerous Alliance, the Stud Stable, the Dungeon of Doom. None of them, to my knowledge, have inflicted so much damage in the backstage assault that it derailed the show entirely.
1: Yeah. The, what you usually got in the past is you would get a pre-tape. For instance, mm-hmm. you have the Forrestman attacking Dusty Rhodes and breaking his leg into the car door. Right. That. right. One of the shows has a earlier-in-the-day one where someone with Dusty Rhodes is attacked and then pulled from a match. I forget who it is now. Mm-hmm. So they show it and say, here's the thing that happened earlier, but it's one guy. It's not a prolonged thing. Right, yeah. You'll have a faction that attacks one dude they don't like, Mm -hmm.
0: and that's dealt with there. Honestly, generally, they're back that same night. Generally, yes. But even if they're not, it's not like the entire show stops. No. This one, the entire show stops, and WCW is just following the aftermath of the attack through multiple commercial breaks. So... Yeah, like we said, there's some parts of this that get a tiny bit repetitive, particularly mm-hmm. Eddie and Alex having their four guys conversation. Poor Ray must at some point think, Eddie, <laughs> I've said four, like several dozen times. Yeah. I'm sure, despite my traumatic head injury, that I'm not, you know, slurring my words or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I know you got it. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I just, I think this is great. It is, yeah. It's not perfectly real, but there's a wonderful portrayal of a wide variety of reactions yeah. from the performers. Mm-hmm. We've got Woman just being so worried about Arn, Mongo being angry as heck, Eddie's pure disbelief at what happened, Benoit just appearing in total grief in the background in certain shots. Yeah. And then Meng just thrown in to stir things up and show that enemies aren't all just having a kumbaya moment. Yeah, right. Tony is a particular highlight in all of this, as he builds up the importance of Mysterio's mask and sells confusion about how and whether they're going to continue the show. I don't know how much he was actually told about how this night would go. Mm. But if he did know all this stuff, he does an excellent job of acting uncertain and thrown by the events of the night.
1: Like, I could could see they say, hey, they're going to be a big attack and we're going to sell it for a bit. But it's one thing to be told that, another thing to see where you're thrown into that thing and and to see, see how it's acted out. I could see him being sort of caught up in the emotion of it. As a performer, mm-hmm. which he's doing. Yeah. He
0: really, really, I mean, I think that's it, right? He knows the emotional reaction they want, and he just lets it happen. Yeah. He doesn't, like, try and resist and be the professional announcer or anything. He really lets out how he would be feeling if this actually was happening.
1: I think the only bit of hyperbole, I think it's him that does it. He talks about how the NWO stole Raymond Stewart's wrestling soul. I think that's actually Eric later on. Is that Eric? I'm oh, okay. pretty sure it's Eric Okay, one of them does that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's a bit much. I mean, I'm with the asking, I I get it's important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like it's the little wrestling soul? It's a little <laughs> weird. Well the Shank song there. Oh, this is what I was thinking too. So Alex Wright says that Eddie can't go because he has a match.
0: Yes. Is Eddie's th- match is against Ray Mr. Yeah, Yeah. I, I th- Well, uh, you know, Alex is German. He assumes that there will always be a backup plan and maximum efficiency for the show. So he assumes Eddie will have a match. And he is right. Yes. Thus his name. Yes. (laughs) I can't argue with that. We're back from commercial again, and Tony and Larry have been joined by Eric Bischoff and Bobby the Brain Heenan as we continue to watch the medical crew work backstage. Nitro normally traded off to Bischoff and Heenan for the second hour. We cut to the commentary crew where Heenan has something to say.
5: Bobby, just hang with us. All right, we are, we're, we're back, and this is the point where we usually send to the second hour. Eric is out here, and Bobby Heenan, here we are. Tony, I'll tell you what.
6: You saw what you saw. We saw it from back here, and it's, it's scary. You know, stop right now. Let me get something straight here right now, Eric. I, I'm not going to do a, a wrestling interview. I'm talking to you man-to-man, face-to-face. I have a history of neck injuries. You know that. If you get a shot of this, I have nerve damage in my hand. Eric, the job isn't worth it to me to be out here. They almost broke your back a couple weeks ago. You saw what just happened out back. There's bodies all over the place. I'm not going to do the broadcast tonight unless somebody can guarantee me security. Somebody can guarantee me that my, I physically won't be hurt. Can you do that? Bobby, I can't guarantee you anything right now. You do what you feel you have to do. Well, I have to walk away from this. My health and my well-being, I'm not going to be crippled and paralyzed for the rest of my life. Like, I'm not going ar- to argue with you here. I'm not going to argue with you, Bobby. You do what you have to do. Come on! Guys,
5: I'm going to need a little help here, if you don't mind. I, Eric, I, don't, I, I tell you what, buddy, these wheels are falling off here. Can we go back and take a look once again, maybe, at what's going on back well, there? I think we need to. I mean, as, as horrible as these things look, Eric, we need to.
0: Great, powerful moment from Bobby Heenan there, re-emphasizing the sense of reality once again. I think uh, Eric does well with that segment as well, trying not to argue with him, mm-hmm. but also letting stress and tension about it show.
1: I, I agree with that both. Everything's
0: most kind of falling apart, and he's trying to keep it together. And I feel like you see later on in the show, he makes comments that are more sympathetic towards Heenan, but at this moment, he's like, I'm trying to keep the show together, and you're throwing me another curveball here. Right, yeah. It feels like a legit back and forth between the two of them there. I no, really for enjoyed.
1: sure. Heenan's really good here. For oh
0: sure. my Heenan. gosh, Yeah. He does a, a exceptional job with that.
1: Because even outside of the initial first show, post-Hogan heel turn, you still mostly get the fun-loving, making fun of people like Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh-huh. and other faces, Heenan.
0: Yeah, I think there's like one or two moments on the earlier shows where he's shown more nervousness when the NWO shows up somewhere. Right. But it's not been like, but this is terror.
1: Right, because, yeah, because they... They show up in the ringside area a couple of times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, it's thought understandable it for him to be worried about that one. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, th- this is raw terror in his voice, which is mm-hmm. really, he does an amazing job with that.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: I liked uh, Tony's line, too. I don't, I don't know, the, the wheels are coming off, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: We cut backstage again. We can hear the crowd getting restless as they aren't seeing all of this, presumably. Arn is put on a stretcher. Bischoff accidentally mixes up Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio for a moment, sounding like Eddie confused Eddie by saying there were four guys. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, again, asks if the four guy might be standing back there right now. And the commentators agree that Macho Man is probably the only one who knows for sure who the fourth guy is now.
1: Yeah. By the way, if you want an explanation of what happened with Rain Savage after the limo bit, I didn't get one.
0: No, I kind of figured.
1: Maybe it's on WCW Saturday Night, which for some reason is not on any version of the network. It goes goes to 93 and just stops. (laughs) You have to go through pretty bad quality YouTube stuff to find people that recorded it and uploaded somewhere. They even interview Savage. They don't show, like, him jumping the limo and then say, what happened to you there? And I expect at least you go, oh, yeah, and they dropped him off somewhere or something. It
0: does seem like something that maybe needed a bit of an answer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: It would be funny if the answer was just oh, I fell off after it ran around the curve, just couldn't hold on. Sorry guys.
1: <laughs> now obviously this wouldn't be great for, for many number of reasons, but it'd be interesting if they try to use this incident with Savage as an invitation for him being the fourth person. Yeah, that he actually is the fourth guy and he yeah. escapes. But like he yeah. he acts so erratic towards that like he's overdoing the act, but like, <laughs> it's not the case. But it'd be interesting. They talk
0: about arranging standby matches as we get some more foreshadowing. Kneeling by Bagwell, Sting is holding one of the baseball bats. I'd be shocked if WCW already knew that he was going to make a bat such a big part of his crow sting act later, Mm -hmm. but maybe? Yeah. The crowd can be heard chanting, boring, and Eric bemoans them not having monitors to see. Tony sympathizes with Heenan's exit, saying that he's scared to death too but he says he's not going to leave. Larry sympathizes as well, but wonders if Heenan saw more than he's saying as he looked terrified. The horsemen watch as Arn is loaded into an ambulance, and best friend Ric Flair gets in with him, as does Woman. Sting walks alongside Bagwell's stretcher to the ambulance, and Eric goes over Bagwell's friendship with Luger and Sting, with him frequently working out at their gym. Randy Anderson can be seen nearby as well with a medical patch on his eye. I'm not sure if that's separate from this, or if it's supposed to actually be part of the attack as well, but I would imagine it's a separate thing.
1: Yeah, I can not find the story of that either.
0: Bagwell is ultimately loaded in the same ambulance as Arn, so Sting climbs in, and the commentators rather nicely highlight that the traditional great foes, Sting and Flair, are now in the same ambulance. The EMT notes that as well, advising Sting and Flair there will be no fights. Mm-hmm as we throw to commercial once more, with the commentary team stating that we're going to have backup matches ready soon. Thoughts on this last uh, bit of the attack?
1: Overall, I thought it was pretty good. They get close to this line of pulling out the curtain too much, which is definitely a real Bischoff thing early on, and then much more of a Russo thing. It's like it's done pretty well, though. Like, the idea that he explains that Bagwell and Sting have been friends for a long time like behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. He, said, he
0: explicitly says, says you don't see that often on TV. He says, Right.
1: Yeah. So, and at least in this case, I don't believe the American males are heels. At this no, point. no, they're still good guys. At right. That right. Point. So, at least he's not doing the curtain pullback so much they're doing that face and heel thing out together. but
0: No, I, I think you can take every single thing that he says. In the context of a real competition, it still works. Yeah, yeah. We've actually seen matches occasionally, very occasionally where Sting and Bagwell are facing each other and they're very respectful towards each other. Right, and right. Clearly pals. Mm-hmm. That, so it's more of a, these guys may fight each other to see who's better, but yeah. they're still buddies. Right. And I think it's the same thing with them saying, oh, what are we going to do? We need backup matches. Well, the, you can take that still in the context of a real competition. That still works. Right, right. Because yeah, you you would need another competitor to come out. They're not saying it like Russo's problem later on, as he'll say it in context of, oh my gosh, we accidentally threw out the script for the match. What'll happen?
1: Yeah, right. Where yeah. this
0: one, this isn't that.
1: No, this no, is, sure, yeah.
0: This is, we had a guy lined up to face this guy in a legitimate sporting event.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was injured. We got to scramble and get someone else to face the guy so that the crowd can see a fight that they paid to see. Right. It's the same thing as, you know, if... There was a boxing thing, and someone got bonked into it by a truck backstage as they were walking to the arena. Oh my gosh,
1: get another boxer. <laughs> you well, actually, well, If you want a, a more recent for the show comparison, you have Tanya Harding, right? And that whole incident with Tanya Harding and you know her rival tacked backstage. Yeah, so things like that can happen in legitimate sports as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, in that case, they weren't skating against each other or skating at the same time. They're just in the same competition. But yeah, they have that as a re- as a reference as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And again, it's a bat and it's a knee, which I don't think is an intentional reference, but it could it could be in probably their, in their minds. Exactly. Yeah, yep. it's in their minds because that was one to think that was ninety five, maybe ninety four.
0: Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but it might be it's around this period for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought again an unusual but really really good segment. Smartly, WCW chose to develop events further rather than just showing more disaster movie footage. Yeah. It's surprising how well all of this works, despite it being a long time without wrestling on a wrestling show. Mm -hmm. Collectively, the Attack and Aftermath cover about a third of the episode. It's so unique that it really held my attention. Mm -hmm. Heenan's easily the highlight of this segment with a powerful and genuine performance. And Tony, again, does a great job bringing out the emotion and confusion of what's happening to the point of sympathizing and agreeing with usual nemesis Heenan. Yeah. And of course, we get the excellent ending of traditional rivals, Sting and Flair, riding off in the same ambulance to care for their respective friends. A great emphasis of how different this is, and yet another foreshadowing of how WCW is going to have to come together and work across the lines of usual rivalries to oppose the new threat. Mm -hmm. So yeah, make no mistake, taken together, these segments are quite long, Mm -hmm. but they're good. This is the sort of trick that you can only pull once. Yes. The first time you do it, done well, it works. It feels different. It feels real. It feels raw. It's so surprising that the viewer is glued to it, despite the lack of action. Mm -hmm. The storyline is interesting. The reactions are interesting. The little clues and hints are interesting. Despite some minor flaws here and there, it just comes together. Yeah. But yes, it is something you can only pull once. If they ever did this again, or something like it, like Mm -hmm. the NWO takes over Nitro bit later on... Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work as well. Right. You need the shock.
1: Right, right. Yeah, the most recent thing I think that compares to this in modern wrestling is probably the Nexus attack at the end yeah. of Raw. Because what that one did is you have a match going on and you have an attack happen in the middle of it like you had with, I think it's Luger and Big Bubba a couple of shows back. Mm-hmm. They had that at few attacking during the match. But it goes beyond that because... The group attacks both the face and heel, to this case CM Punk and John Cena. Mm-hmm. But they also attack their people with them. They attack uh, Legas like Luke Gallows. that's with CM Punk as the Straight Society thing going on. at This point,
0: yeah. Don't they even let like go to the commentator? That's or saying, yeah. yeah. Then
1: they t- they also attack the cameraman and the commentators. Right. They take everyone in the ringside area. So if they go above even this one. Probably because of the need to escalate from this kind of incident. Right,
0: yeah, you can't just be the NWO again. Though, to to that point, even not on this show, but on other shows, the NWO has been shown attacking backstage crew and that sort of thing. So, they just, with the Nexus, they just, let's pile it all in one moment. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, I think that's probably the closest I can think of as well for just the raw chaos and feeling of derailment of the show that this engineers. And it is it really is just impressive how well this actually works and... And how fascinating you are, and stuck to it you are, despite the fact that, really, objectively, there's not a ton going on. Yeah. For probably a good half hour to forty five minutes, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. But it's still it's it's genuinely interesting.
1: So that's the other thing about this that's I'm I'm two minds on, and I'm wondering if they were doing this as well. So doing this at the MGM, I want to say studio. I don't know what you want to refer to this. They're at. Mm-hmm. On one hand. It, the contrast of this sort of brutal, sudden, abrupt violence and the aftermath of it feels really intentionally out of place at MGM. True, at Disney World. Exactly, like, yeah, yeah. This big, violent assault at Disneyland, and the, the ambulance coming. Makes you wonder what people in the area, if they heard ambulances fire trucks pulling up. Thought. Probably, yeah. 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 You also have the fact that right when they're doing this would be the transition between commentary teams, but the fireworks happening in the back while they're talking. Which I believe is like a timed thing in MGM. I don't think it's, I don't think it's Nitro doing it, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, they did t- traditionally have fireworks for their second hour transitions, but...
1: I could see in, in storyline, Bischoff going, don't do this, I'm, I'm going out there, don't do this. Yeah. Because yeah. he's in charge of the show. At the same time, maybe you could say, maybe one of the interns back that goes, oh, it's, it says this type of this button, you know. Yeah, yeah. But so, outside of the contrast of the look, you have it a place where there's no... Like, they're in an arena where there's a big monitors showing and it's happening. Right, yeah. So the crowd doesn't see this. On one hand, I think it's more effective. Because the crowd doesn't react alongside the hits backstage and... Right, 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 yeah. Cheer or boo when someone appears. It's like when you take commentary out... I, I, yeah, I think
0: for the, they definitely have to have the crowd not able to see the attack. You can't have the crowd reacting to the attack because mm-hmm. you need the realism.
1: What's well, the thing? So, you lose some reaction by not having the crowd aware of this because they don't. even though know, they could boo during replays when they replay the attacks, you see it mm-hmm. to emphasize how much people are against into and how shocking this is. But you would have what seemed like it had 450 people sitting in bleachers around a ring with presumably nothing happening in it other than. Tony and Larry sitting there at a table looking at a screen on a on a desk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's more gritty and realistic because they do it at a place where there are no screens to show the video for mm-hmm. them. But at the same time, I'm worried that they're short term running this l- as audience right, to yeah. get I, that effect. I think
0: it definitely like that segment of the show definitely sucked for this audience.
1: Yeah. In in in
0: general. But I agree with their choice to do it that way.
1: Mm, yeah, I am mixed, mixed on, honestly.
0: I really feel like if you had the audience cheering or reacting to it, it makes it more of a standard wrestling show. Mm, yeah. The fact that you don't have audience reactions going on to it helps with the feel that they're going for. Well, that's the people. question I
1: have as well, is, did they choose to do this at this arena, or what you would call this place they're at, purely based on a timetable? you know, week three, we do this, week four, we do this. And we just happen to be, because they're at MGM for a bunch of shows in a row. As a way to save money. So they just go, oh, we're at MGM. I guess we'll just do it here anyways. Were they just sort of locked in at the location they're at? Or did they go, let's do it here because they won't have monitors? And I'm actually not sure.
0: Yeah, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a factor in the decision. Right. Yeah. I think for any small critiques that we can make of this uh, overall segment, I don't think those end end up really mattering.
1: No, not, not uh, really long-term, no.
0: The uniqueness of the episode overwhelms everything else. Mm-hmm. And I have to say big kudos to WCW for trying something like this. Yeah. It's a, it's a really gutsy move to do, but I think they pulled it off well. Right. Which is not something I'm used to saying about WCW,
1: <laughs> honestly. Praising our production.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazingly done. Just a, a yeah. really unique moment that had to go exactly right to succeed, and I think it does. Mm-hmm. Finally, we come back from break, and it is time for our next match. So, our third match is high voltage. That's Robbie Rage and Kenny Chaos. Yes, seriously.
1: And chaos with a K.
0: Yes, if you're wondering. Versus the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott. The referee for this one is Randy Eller.
1: So, as we noted, Harlem Heat won the titles a few weeks back during the chaotic bit with the NVO surrounding ringside, back when it was just two of them. Five days before the show, at a house show, they had a title change, where the Steiner brothers actually won the titles from Harlem Heat. Okay. Three days after that, a different house show, they then lost them back to Harlem Heat.
0: Okay, so it's one of those phantom title changes again. Yes.
1: And as so you know, watch the show, it is not mentioned. Yeah. Because they even talk about this at some point in commentary, the Steiner brothers' goal coming here is to become Tag Team Champions. Which they just recently did. you know. Oh, well.
0: (laughs) High voltage, enter to an alarm sound and announcement of danger, high voltage. Sadly, it's not that one song. Yes. (laughs) They're energized, no pun intended. They wear hot pink. Only Bret Hart can really make that work. True. Eric builds up the opportunity that the two are getting and notes that they can't be unmoved by the attack but they don't have long-running friendships backstage like others. Speaking of, the Steiners enter to Steinerized with a much more subdued entrance than usual. Both look downhearted, and Rick in particular keeps looking towards backstage as Scott repeatedly tells him to focus. We cut backstage briefly to see Scotty Riggs loaded into an ambulance. Back at the ring, the bell rings to start the match. Scott and Chaos start. Tony points out that Rick is not even on the apron. He's too busy watching the entrance ramp. Mm-hmm. Eric agrees that this is not the usual Steiners. They're shaken and distracted. Scott nevertheless flings chaos around and out wrestles him as what I'm pretty sure is one of Disney World's fireworks shows starts up. Yes. Yeah, this is where I detected did you say there was some during the announcers? I know po- I think oh.
1: might my, my the timing off. This oh, this okay. definitely happens, yeah. It might be some earlier as well, but yeah, there's definitely some here.
0: Scott tries to get Rick focused in between beating up Chaos, and finally talks him to the apron for the tag. Rick, though, wanders towards the ref, asking him something and pointing backstage, and Chaos repeatedly lands strikes as Rick just cannot get himself focused on the match. Eric talks about hating to commercialize what WCW just went through, then commercializes it, telling the NWO that they'll see them at Hogwild. (laughs) Rage and Chaos trade-off beating Rick up with several double teams. A double elbow drop goes a little bit awkwardly, but a double drop kick and double suplex go quite well. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I noticed that the two of them always seem to slap the back of their partner's hand, not the palm when they're tagging in and out. Mm, I'm sure other people do that too, but I just really noticed it with them. A rage top rope flying shoulder block earns one, but Rick, kind of, counters a chaos top rope dive into a power slam. More accurately, Chaos does a jumping flip past Rick, who barely touches him. <laughs> yes. It gets two anyway. Tagged to Scott, and he decimates Rage and Chaos with Steiner lines, and continues the destruction on Rage with a tilt-a-whirl slam and double underhook powerbomb. Tagged to Rick, who smashes Rage into the turnbuckle, and Steiner lines him, and he tags Scott for the Steiner f- screwdriver. <laughs>
1: yes. That's his full name, yes
0: on rage for the three count and the win as Rick blocks chaos. For those who haven't seen it, yes. The Steiner screwdriver is when Scott Steiner's picks you up overhead for kind of like a suplex. Yes. Then while you're aimed head first at the ground, drops you. It's let go, yeah. Then hopefully he catches you as you fall and hits a pile driver. It is one of the most terrifying moves I have ever seen.
1: Yes. It's a terrifying move the Steiner brothers do. And these are the same guys that put one guy in their shoulder and do a DT out the top rope.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. This is actually more terrifying than that. Yes. Hilariously, Eric is in the middle of making a point about how this match had been going, but he cuts off as that move happens with a surprised, oh. (laughs) Larry also sounds amazed by it. The Steiners hug and make their exit with Eric suggesting that they're probably going to visit the injured wrestlers now. Rage is, unfortunately, already crawling out of the ring as they exit. I appreciate that he at least bothers to look dazed, but he really should have been selling that thing like Savage sold the diamond cutter back at Spring Stampede 1997. Uh-huh, yeah. That is a move that demands unconsciousness.
1: He agreed, yes.
0: As we go to break with some excellent replays of Rick Steiner line and Scott Steiner screwdriver, and one more shot of an ambulance leaving backstage... Eric lets us know that the role of Rey Mysterio Jr. in the upcoming match with Eddie Guerrero will now be played by Big Bubba. That's going to be a bit of a different match. Uh, yeah. And see, now, if you really wanted to get the screwdriver over, you could have just had the EMTs come out and cart Rage off.
2: Yeah, we're already here anyways.
0: Stick him in the same ambulance as Riggs. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would have made it a bit comedic, though, so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thoughts on this match? I thought it was a good to strong match. They really play up that this is the first match after this big sort of shaking event. Rick really sells him being distracted, worrying about them coming back and attacking again. Scott has this good thing where he's trying to kind of wrestle the match normally and get Rick to do that. Mm -hmm. It nicely works in that High Voltage can get control of the match, keep it for a little while, because... They're working against Scott by himself.
0: Yeah, it's a good excuse to let them get to show off some more stuff than they otherwise might have been able to against the team exactly, of the Steiners, yeah. right? That's, I thought that was a, a good use of this moment.
1: Mm-hmm. The two big moments, of course, Rick Steiners' quote-unquote power slam. That one terrifies me almost as much as the screwdriver because, yeah, poor guy, he, he jumps, he's doing like a front sort of somersault. Rick is supposed to catch him at some point and complete, sort of complete the rotation so it's much more of like a back and butt bump, Yeah. of yeah. better words. But because there's nothing really affecting his fall, he basically himself off to the top rope, lands high on his shoulders, and not quite his neck, thankfully, but... Rick yeah, thankfully he was rotated enough that he still lands safely-ish. But yeah, that looked... A bit yeah, Rick kind of got his one arm under his neck, which might be the difference. But it didn't make as much difference as it was supposed to. Yes. It's not quite the Samoa Joe moves as you jump out of the corner and let you fall spot. (laughs) But it's definitely like, oh, man, you could really do that better. Yes. Yeah. This slight miscue. Admittedly, not an easy thing to do, but still. And as you said, the Steiner screwdriver. Finally, for the first time, actually getting it properly on the show. Yes,
0: I, I believe we almost got it on collision in Korea, but they cut away. Yes, I'm pretty sure that's what he was hitting at the end yeah. of that match. But
1: we have Stunner definitely picking up for the screwdriver, and then whoever the opponent was at that point, laying in the ring after the move happened. Yes, and definitely he sells the death of that yes. quite well. Yeah. If you look at it as what should be a squash match, but becomes a more competitive match with story, it works quite well. <laughs> Rage of Chaos aren't terrible. They do their double-team stuff pretty well. They just don't have much in the way of characterization. Mm -hmm. They're guys that are brought out to basically be jobbers, but slightly above average jobbers at this point. I imagine they win matches on WWE Saturday night, but not much more than that.
0: Yeah. I think this is one of those matches where you're like, okay, this is your chance to prove what you can do, because we're giving you an excuse in storyline to do it. Mm-hmm. So go out there and give your best. They do, and I, I think they do actually quite well at it. Yeah, no, they're if not I'd bad. Put the one elbow drop spot, their timing just seems a bit off, where I think they're supposed to do it in quicker succession. But yeah. I think one of them lands where the other one was going to land, so he has to stop and wait for him to get back up, and then he can do his. Mm-hmm. But really, they, they, they do quite a good job with this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was a surprisingly fun match, and I agree. They made a really good use of Steiner distraction mm-hmm. to give high voltage an excuse to be able to just do more yeah. than you would have expected them to do, which was really nice. I thought they had some good high-impact moves and some good double teams, and they kept things moving at a high pace with quick tags as well. Yeah. So while there's a few awkward bits, I think that's just experience. It'll get more polished in time. Sure. I thought that was a really cool way to get them to a chance to show off without being decimated by the Steiners. And it didn't devalue the Steiners because obviously they have a very good excuse Mm -hmm. for being a little more vulnerable than usual. Rick is, aside from the one power slam, the star of this one. Yeah. He does an excellent job showing his head just not being in the match from wandering around ringside early on to glancing away at inopportune moments while he's in the ring. In contrast to Scott's late nineties ringside wandering, this is actually good. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm curious how they decided who would play which role.
0: Um I'm not surprised they went with Rick because mm-hmm. he's he's traditionally the guy that Scott kind of needs to encourage and oh. you know get focused and things and when they do the first like big tag to Rick in the match Scott'll do the whole like weird rub your head thing and kind of direct him at his opponent and stuff. Right, okay. So I think it makes sense for it to be Rick in in that light.
1: Because I, I could see it the other way, given that Rick is the older brother.
0: Mm-hmm. I could see that, too. It's just not traditionally his role.
1: No, I got you. But I, was curious, I like to picture them like flipping a coin. I'm going to work the match, and you're going to be nervous.
0: Yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> yep, and then all that, and Scott hits the scariest finisher in recent memory. So <laughs> this was fun. Yeah. <laughs> unless, you're, uh, unless you're Robbie Rage.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Steiners, having recently been tag championed but not mentioned, I uh, will be challenging for the tag titles against Harlem Heat at Hog Wild. Okay. A little bit of historical irony to close this out as well. But two years from now, a little over two years from now, the Steiner's Brothers is broken up because Scott turns heel, it becomes Big Papa Pump and B.O. There's a whole convoluted thing we'll cover when we cover Halloween Havoc 1998. Mm-hmm. But basically, Rick Steiner wins the tag titles by himself because his tag partner betrays him. And I guess they, they count him leaving the match as not being his partner anymore. Yeah. Did not how the rules work. <laughs> so now Rick Steiner's a single tag champion. He's trying to find someone to be his presumably long-term tag partner, but just being short-term. He finds Kenny Chaos, who at this point is working. I think Robbie Rage is, I don't think he's been released, but he's just injured, I believe. I think so, case. yeah. I think So Kenny Chaos becomes his temporary tag partner, Rick Steiner. That is hilarious. And they never actually dropped the tag titles, by the way. Rick Stein gets injured and they vacate them. <laughs> so good for KDK. I said not lose the tag titles. Yep. We cut to the table,
0: where Eric welcomes us back again after a commercial break, as Tony looks oddly pouty. <laughs> Eric talks up the upcoming Eddie Guerrero-Big Bubba match, and Tony notes that the NWO's attack on Rey Mysterio robbed Guerrero of the chance to go to Hog Wild as Cruiserweight champ. Larry says, everyone in WCW is a fighter, and he's a fighter. He's tired of sitting around. Eric suggests that he followed the outsiders, as they're attacking where WCW doesn't have security. So I guess that's a comment in favor of Larry's strength, like if he's there, he can prevent an attack? Yeah. It's interesting, by the way, that Eric and Larry themselves are going to end up in a match against each other in a little over a year.
1: That's true, yeah. (laughs) That's the other thing, too. So we know... They sort of reckon that Bishop eventually, by before the end of the year, becomes a heel, and they say he was somehow f- helping them the whole time. But you have, they have to excuse so much in that for that to be true. Yeah, I
0: feel like it's more natural for it to be that they eventually turn him. Yeah, rather than that he was actually a part of her from the beginning.
1: Yeah. Either way, they act like it's been a long time that he's been secretly a member. Mm-hmm. It's not until the build the in, I believe, ninety six. They do that.
0: Yeah, I buy it if it's you know, a couple months into the NWO storyline, they've turned Eric. Like, once Ted DiBiase comes in... Yeah. ...that you can say, okay, he flashed Eric, you know, a billion-dollar check or whatever. Yeah. And Eric's like, oh, yes, I will sell out my principles for that. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, sure. But the storyline works best if Eric is, is at this point, loyal to WCW. Yeah.
1: I want to think that's what's going on, but I don't know whether they actually decided that or not. Yeah. 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 Retroactively decided that, because at this point, they hadn't decided that turn yet.
0: Our fourth match is Big Bubba, accompanied by Jimmy Hart, versus Eddie Guerrero. The referee for this one is Jimmy Jett. Bubba comes out to the ring alongside Jimmy Hart, who still looks downhearted after the events backstage, just shaking his head as he walks down. I like that people are letting this influence their entrances and stuff, not just doing their usual thing. Mm -hmm. As Guerrero enters, Eric again briefly confuses Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero as he talks about the dart throw incident but he corrects himself. Larry sneaks in another new world odor as we cut to another commercial break. That was fast. Yeah, right? I kind of wonder if they'd actually, like, got an agreement to shift around the ad locations so that they could do the attack with longer stretches between the ads Mm, and that they're making up for it here a bit. We're back as the match starts up. Guerrero grabs a headlock, but Bubba whips free and hits a massive shoulder block, then slaps Guerrero and flings him outside, only for Guerrero to spring right back in, wait for him to finish posing on the turnbuckle, and give him a mighty slap in return. Mm-hmm. Nice. Guerrero drop kicks Bubba out through the ropes, and Bubba sells his jaw, as does Guerrero, which is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bubba gets some encouragement from Hart and gets back in. Eric says that Guerrero seems determined in contrast to the shaken Steiners, and Tony says everyone reacts to that attack in their own way. Bubba nails Guerrero with a kick and hurls him skyward to hit the mat hard, and Guerrero is stunned, so Bubba takes him apart and drops him throat-first on the ropes. An elbow drop with very relaxed pin earns two, and two again with a more solid pin as Bubba death glares at Jet. (laughs) (laughs) Guerrero manages a back suplex and a brief escape, but Bubba uppercuts him down really love Bubba's uppercuts. He has, like, this great rotation on him. He like
1: a snap to them, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, who does him like
0: it? Uh, like Kane? I yeah, think Kane. A similar one? For sure, right? yeah. Bubba repeatedly claws at Guerrero's face for lectures from the ref, and Larry nicely points out how different Guerrero's current matchup is from who he was planning to face. Mm-hmm. Bubba is just a tad larger than Rey Mysterio.
1: That's a bit, Yeah. <laughs>
0: Bubba cuts off another Guerrero comeback with a monster clothesline for two. Bubba is displeased at the pace of the counts, (laughs) but continues with a camel clutch and a body scissors, and earns two counts with a corner splash and a shockingly nice elevated bear hug into a spine buster. But Guerrero rolls him up for two. Guerrero fires up, but Bubba smacks him right back down and brags to the camera, then wrenches Guerrero's neck and slaps on a chin lock, but Guerrero keeps his arm up on the ref checks. Mm -hmm. Guerrero crossbody countered into a slam, but Guerrero kicks Bubba away in the corner and hits a Tornado DDT, then counters a powerbomb with rapid punches, but Bubba flings him overhead into the turnbuckle as Hart argues with Jet on the apron, grabbing him. Bubba flings Guerrero outside and Hart flings the megaphone to Bubba behind Jet's back, but it goes through Bubba's legs. Bubba scrambles for it, ending up near the ropes, where Guerrero sunset flips in just as Bubba gets his hands on the megaphone, so the megaphone sails overhead (laughs) as Jet escapes Hart and counts three to give Guerrero the win. As the crowd cheers, Guerrero and Jet both rapidly escape and exit before an angry Bubba can pound their faces to mush. (laughs) Hart and Bubba argue in the ring, tossing the megaphone back and forth as they're clearly debating who was at fault for the missed throw. <laughs>
2: it's
0: a great bit. Larry accurately points out that Bubba probably didn't need the megaphone as he was doing fine without it. Yeah, I'm genuinely curious for, for your thoughts on this, too. Uh, was that miscatch of the megaphone? Do you think that was a botch that they just worked really well with or that that was intentional?
1: I think that was intentional. Yeah.
0: Because it had to get him close to them. But he does such a good job with looking like an accident. Yeah, I could see it being a slip-up that they worked with really, really well because they're both very experienced, though I can also see that being an explanation for how they're able to fake that something went wrong when it didn't. Right, yeah. <laughs> Calling the replay of the Tornado DDT, Larry notes that it sent Bubba's, quote, semi-circular canals into a tither. Yeah. <laughs> which may be my new favorite wrestling call.
4: <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. <laughs>
0: it's
1: right up there with uh, butt over tea kettle, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thoughts on this one?
1: I'm kind of on due mind about this match, I will say. I didn't actually time this. I don't know how many minutes this is. This feels like there's a really good five-minute TV match with the story they have. You know, Eddie constantly fighting from underneath, Bobby using his power and the advantages, and then, of course, the finish. All working really well. The problem is the match is eight to ten minutes, Mm -hmm. so they draw it out a little too much for me. At no point is it bad. It's not like they have miscues or they get necessarily repetitive. It's just... At some point, the crowd's ready for them to go to the finish, and they go, I took a couple more minutes to see how this goes. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's called it. I don't know if they're told you have this much time for the match, or if Big Bubba says, Let's go longer, or Eddie goes, Let's work a little longer. But whatever the case is, it's a bit long for me. There's a lot of good spots throughout, though. Eddie's a really good underneath Babyface at this point in time. Big Bubba, as un nuanced as his offense is, and this, he's a realistic guy to be in that position because he throws, like, I like, said, got an uppercut so you can throw his body at the guy like that. He actually did the better version I think I've seen of the lift the guy up and then slam him back down on, like, on the stomach bit.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. so many times I see you do, do that move, they sort of throw up and, and walk away or step away. And am why don't you just put your feet down and land? But actually, would be like, Dolph Ziggler right, goes, right, like, eight yeah. feet in the air. Just put your feet down. You're fine. But I thought because he sort of elevates him down, they cover that pretty well. Mm-hmm. The scenario DT I thought was really done. And to his credit, Eddie Guerrero gets a really good crowd reaction. He really gets them behind him finished. Oh, yeah, yeah. They chant for him multiple times during this match. Yeah. That's what makes me wonder if maybe at some point when they start chanting for him when he's down, they go, let's do this a little longer. Maybe one one or both of them makes that call. I could see that. I could also just see it being a
0: bit difficult to get the match timings right on this show sure. because of the un- like. Okay, we've done this big segment here. How do we finagle the last yeah. part of the show to around that, right? Sure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely that. not a bad match. It's just, if it's been a little bit shorter and tighter, I think it would have worked really, really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this came off as one of those classic fast wrestler versus huge wrestler kinds of matches.
1: Like I was pitching at the beginning of the show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ironically enough.
0: It's, it's a bit formulaic, but the formula really works. Mm-hmm. Bubba pounds the ever-loving crap out of Eddie Guerrero and quickly cuts off every single comeback, but Guerrero stays just alive enough Mm -hmm. to keep the crowd into it and earns their sympathy and repeated chance. Yeah. I do feel like, I think getting at what you were saying, I feel like it's maybe a little bit too one-sided. Right. Like if they'd added one longer mid-match hope spot for uh, Guerrero before we went back to the beatdown, if Mm -hmm. he got a few moves in sequence in the middle of the match, it might have been a little better. But- I really appreciate that Bubba tremendously varied up his offense. Yeah, yeah. He didn't just stick with one move or stick with punching or something like that. He does a lot of different things, including some pretty decent mat wrestling. Yeah. And Guerrero's short comeback attempts were all different as well. Mm -hmm. So this never got dull to me. No. I like the general story, too. Bubba is clearly dominating, but he's too arrogant to get the pinfall that he needs. Right, yeah. He, He... Basically, at various points, has Eddie beat, Uh but just does a relaxed pin or poses for a little bit beforehand. Mm -hmm. The the message is clearly, yeah, this guy probably is pretty much decimating Guerrero and could win at any time. It's just he has the wrong attitude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ultimately, he and Hart get frustrated when they could have won in other ways, go to their old standby, and that's their undoing. Mm Mm-hmm. This was a good way of building up everybody. Bubba comes off as really tough and powerful. Guerrero as a fighter, and this ends up a solid and very fun match. I, I agree, it gets maybe a tad repetitive at points, but they're fighting that well with the varied offense.
1: Right, right. I think it's kind of funny, there's a little bit of historical irony as well, that Big Bubba does the camel clutch on the Guerrero, which, mm-hmm. as I've noted, was invented by Gory Guerrero. Oh, Okay. I know I can't remember which show I noted that. On. I forget. I yeah, yeah. I think it was I think it was probably the show we had the dragon and Aguero match. I Might have that. been. Yeah. I'm happy to hear you compliment a match that has a bear hug spot in as well. Even okay. if it's short.
0: One, it's short. Yeah. Two, he keeps it elevated. Yes. And three, he transitions it into something that looks awesome. Yeah. So like, if every bear hug spot was like that yeah. bear hug spots, I would love bear hugs. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's
0: one of the best bear hug spots I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I forget, I think there's one spot with Nikita Koloff on some other show that we saw where he does, like, a cool bear hug thing, too. He did
1: ragdoll bear hug, like, that one.
0: Yeah. I think Sting one time does one where he, like, does a bear hug, but then lowers him to the ground and then raises him back up.
1: I Not think so, at yeah. One point.
0: So people that do things with bear hugs, I don't mind bear hugs. I know. But it's when people just, like, sit there kind of leaning against the guy. And they're both standing on the ground. Making yeah. no effort whatsoever. That's when I hate bear hugs. No, yeah, I, I get Unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, that's 99.9% of bear hugs. That's true,
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, the match that was already scheduled is Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair. With this point, either didn't have the title, is the U.S. champion. So, he scheduled that hog wild to fight for the title. Right. Which is interesting, because kind of what they mentioned in that context. They never had Eddie missed his chance to become Cruiserweight champion. And in some alternate world where this doesn't happen, the NWO attacks didn't happen, he could be a Cruiserweight champion fighting for the U.S. title like two weeks later.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's Tony actually does mention the U.S. title thing shortly after they talk about the Cruiserweight one, right. but they don't fully tie the two together.
1: Yeah, I am in the sense that you never see Flair with the belt. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Also, I mean, for contrast, so the previous show is where Flair won the U.S. title. Mm-hmm. He beat Conan. Right. Flair is defending his title on hog wild against eddie guerrero in contrast conan is wrestling a match for wcw saturday night taped before hog wild (laughs) that's unfortunately a pretty quick demotion for conan yeah that's too bad yeah
0: (laughs) the following announcement has been paid for by the new world order
7: You know,
9: it's a tough
7: job, but somebody's gotta do it. People are wondering who's gonna be next. Don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah,
9: it's invitation only there, chicos. Well, you talk about the money. You
7: talk about beating people up. Well, it's a new world order, and I hope it's okay
9: because there's nothing you can do about it. That's right, power, fame, (laughs) money, and now our own corporation. You know, think about it. N-W-O. We're new, we're taking over World Championship Wrestling, and we're giving all the orders. It's the new way! Is that okay, Billionaire Ted? You don't like it? Come and fight. Is WCW even going to fight or are we just going to take it? We make the choices! Wait for the call! <laughs>
7: You billionaire Ted, with all of Ted's horses and all of Ted's men, you're not going to be able
9: to put the WCW back together again. I see it like this. Everybody wants to know who is next. Look at the third man we deliver. Everybody wants to know who's going to be four, who's going to be five. Is it another outsider? Or is it somebody right in the (laughs) CNN center? We don't need you. We don't want you. We'll take you when we want you. These WCW guys, this Sting and Lex, they got soft. They living in Billionaire Ted's Country Club. Take a look at us. We have to fight, scratch, and claw for everything we got. And boys, we want you. I think the whole world wants to know one thing about Lex. Luger. Hey Lex,
7: what are you bitch? <laughs> what are you bitch, Lex? You guys know something. I almost forgot something that's really important. On August 10th, I'm wrestling the Giants. Oh. I forgot, it slipped my mind. I mean, the WCW heavyweight title is on the line. That means, gentlemen, in one given night, we get to beat up the best that the WCW has, gentlemen. I find it quite ironic that the WCW could be so weak to beg, to plead, to cry out to the giant, that he's their last hope, that he's their only chance of surviving the wrath of the NWO. On August the 10th, hog wild brother on that night. The outsiders become the insiders. And with 500,000 Harley Davison's by their side, the NWO will establish itself as the greatest wrestling organization
9: on the earth, brother. You know, in Sturgis, me and the big man, we're gonna take care of a little grudge match. You know, Sting... You painted face punk, you've been whining and crying about how much you want us. You get your partner, you get Luger, you two punks, you get all pumped up, and chicos, you want us. Don't sing it. Great. We call it Armageddon. The genesis has
7: begun. It's a new beginning, the beginning of the new world order. And on one given night, As you two amigos destroy the top talent in the WCW, the giant shall crumble and fall at Hulk Hogan's feet.
6: The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order.
0: I love that the commentary team, by the way, just throws to this like they're throwing to a regular commercial break. Yeah. The show even fades out in exactly the same way, so it looks like it's legitimately going to commercial. Oh, okay. Which is a nice touch. Yeah. That does a lot to make it look like the NWO legitimately bought an ad spot on TNT, Mm -hmm. rather than it just being a part of Nitro. Right, right. As for the promo, this is so, so different. Yeah. Pre-taped, heavily produced, jumping between different cuts and disorienting camera angles, Mm -hmm. all in black and white, with video effects Phased in occasionally. I know they've got one point where Hogan's like making uh, forward circle motions with his arms. And they start like uh, overlaying the same footage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it gets like an echo effect going on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of neat. It's unfocused, constantly shifting topics, interspersed with random comments and jokes, mixed in with posing like it's a photo shoot. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is dripping with disdain for WCW, for all of their stars, for everything they stand for. And Yes, there are parts, mostly Hogan's, where it feels more like a traditional wrestling promo again. Yeah. He kind of like makes some longer statements that they can't chop up as easily as the other guys. Right, right, yeah. But I actually kind of think that's fine with me, because jumping back and forth in style also adds to the confusion.
4: hmm okay. And
0: confusion here is good. Right, right. So yeah, I, I think it would have been a little bit neat to see Hogan just kind of talk in a more normal voice, more casually too, like the other guys, but this works, yeah. And yes, there are some weird lines. Nash's linking of Armageddon and Genesis being a real head scratcher. Uh huh. Maybe he's um a proponent of the theory that there was a previous universe and it ended, and mm. then the new universe started from that.
1: Yeah, I guess. Sure.
0: <laughs> but man, this is just totally unique and filled with character.
1: Right, right. You know, what I'd really love to see with all this time that WWE has owned this footage. And I don't think they've ever released in this. I really want to, like, on one of the DVDs, they could have done this. Put out uh, the raw version of them. with oh Promos. I want to see that. How, how many hours do you think it is? Yeah, right? Like,
0: uh, just to do this one promo.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because they have all these massive
0: amount of different shots that they're taking that are clearly, like, different things. Like, between take things. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And stuff. I would imagine it's a situation where you kind of just, like, point a whole bunch of cameras at this, just leave it rolling. Right, right. And, like, okay, we'll cut together. But still, I mean, this... My prediction, probably a good at least two hours of footage very possible, that they probably yeah. had to pull together for this. Right, right.
1: Like you stop and cut and you do this thing here. You got to assume they've took multiple
0: takes of a few of oh, this yeah, stuff too, totally. right? Just amazing, amazing work at this right. to make something completely different than anything you right. saw before.
1: Yeah, they, the only problem they were going to do with this long term is that they create this completely really unique style that makes them stand out, which is absolutely a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. But they never quite make a counterbalance to it with the WCW wrestlers right. doing their promos. Which,
0: on a certain level, I, I agree with you. On a certain level, and I, and I, but I'm gonna just as a counterpoint to that. Okay, I think WCW's wrestlers maintaining the more traditional wrestling style actually kind of is the point. Mm. It's like it is tradition versus yeah. chaos, you know.
1: And I'm not saying they they have to create the same kind of promo. I, I just mean they never up their game. I think is what I'm what I'm. Saying. Oh, okay. No, I'm not saying literally do this kind of promo. No, no. As a one-off, it'd be kind of funny actually. If like after a show where say the individual loses a lot of control, have like Sting, Luger, and something <laughs> do a counter like parody version that,
0: that would, would be hilarious. I, I would
2: see that,
1: especially given that the individual got to do parody versions of other people's promos, like the mm-hmm. Horseman with Arn. It'd be nice to them get their own puppets that way. But what I'm saying is they never really gave... Other than Sting, and obviously they botched the ending with Sting on that, they never had the other people up their game like production-wise or mm-hmm. intensity-wise. So what happens is you have the NWO doing this crazy weird style that all these people that aren't in wrestling gravitate towards. And think, wow, this is what wrestling should be like and is like now. This is really cool. And then... There's Saxo Jim Duggan when he's cutting regular promos and all this stuff happening. And it really created this mindset of, this is the old style. It's not good anymore. I
0: can kind of see that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They created their own problem.
0: Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you run into with it a little bit is they set such a high bar here. Yes. This is clearly a time-consuming and very expensive way to do promos. Yes. And ultimately, they start going to uh we're just gonna have the theme music bit and the black and white bit we're we're not gonna do all the camera cuts and all that kind of stuff it starts falling a little flat Mm -hmm. later on but all that's in the future oh yeah yeah this segment is brilliant
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) we talk about wcw you have to look at the short term like this show and go wow this is really good and then you can't help but think about long term it's like it's quickly in a bubble but yeah i agree with you on that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: on the storyline itself. I think a promo like this helps, too, because it makes the NW look wealthy and powerful. Mm -hmm. They clearly have the time and money to produce something like this. Yeah. And then purchase the ad spot on WCW's own home TV station, Mm -hmm. right where you can just stick a thumb in their eye, basically, with that. Emphasizes that they've got the time, the cash, and the huge egos necessary to put this on and take the fight to WCW in their home. Yeah. Combined with the backstage assault earlier... This establishes the NWO as a force to be reckoned with and a threat above and beyond anything WCW has ever faced. Yeah. So it's an excellent promo concept that really emphasizes the storyline and yeah. really well made.
1: I think, I almost think they realized how effective it is early on because the very next week on Nitro, which I watched for comparison, they do a similar thing where they cut to NWO promo, but then it abruptly stops because Sting and Ludogram in the production room and tell them to stop playing the tape right right yeah which is good as it breaks the look of a wrestling show thing well wow, this is real because they're literally stopping the show for this and everything but at the same time you now establish they could just do this that's true maybe hogan once he has the championship in the future he has their powers that you can't do that but yeah the fact that, and, that just, and
0: that's well that is where like the bischoff explanation comes into things as yeah, well probably yeah
1: that could help yeah but just funny that he then me they go hey stop playing the tape now He threatened Craig Leathers in one of his few on-screen appearances. Yes.
0: We're back from our apparent ad break, and Tony informs us that Eric has left, checking on the conditions of the wrestlers. Tony and Larry go over the events of the attack from Hart's arrival, as Larry says that he thought for sure the dungeon was going to attack, then going back to the NWO assault. Tony throws the footage of the earlier attack. We get a great line from Larry during that, by the way, that I missed talking about before. Hmm. When Tony talks about the Outsiders being in the back, Larry says, The who is where? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just in this exasperated tone. It's great. Back from that footage, it's time for our next match. Tony mentions that this one was supposed to feature Arne Anderson challenging the Giant for the World Championship, but obviously that's not happening. No. So, our final match is a mystery opponent versus the Giant for the Giants' WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Referee for this one is Nick Patrick.
1: So going back a bit, on the July 15th night show, shortly after the infamous turn, Hogan cuts a promo, I believe it's a videotape promo, I don't think it's a live promo, where he challenges for the WCW title. Now, I still question why they give him a title shot. Unlike Colin Nash, he does work there. But I, I would think what he does might be ground determination, but I guess not. <laughs> also, I think he does <laughs> eh, we'll, well, let you slide this one time, buddy. And then the next 10 times and 11 times and 12
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know what it is?
0: Mm-hmm. In this feud, you've got the NWR The Heel yeah. organization. WCW is the face organization. Which means WCW is cripplingly stupid. That's true. Faces are always agreeing to title matches they should not agree to. <laughs> Yeah. It's true. just in this case, it's the entire company.
1: <laughs> yeah. Two weeks ago on Nitro, we actually had a world-time match between Arn Anderson and the Giant. Oh, okay. So it's interesting that they, as part of a storyline, Baden switched that match, but they just had this match.
0: <laughs> so, no Arn Anderson, but WSW still has a strong roster. They could give us a cool surprise, right? Uh-huh. Who could it be Well, Steve Austin's old WCW music hits. Could this be an amazing return? It's been about a month since Austin claimed superstardom with his famous Austin 316 promo. So that would be one heck of a get by That would be, yeah. Or perhaps it's Blitzkrieg appearing several years early via Time Machine. He did use the same music. If anyone could. But it's neither of those things. It is, in fact, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah. Tony just matter-of-factly says, Greg the Hammer Valentine will take Arn Anderson's place. Like, that needs no explanation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In fairness, Valentine did apparently have a match with Savage on Nitro a few weeks prior. Mm. Also, in fairness, that's kind of strange, too. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if this is accurate, but according to CageMatch.net, the match with Savage is Valentine's first WCW match in 1996. This is his third. Ah. For the world title. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Seriously, though, nothing against Valentine. I still have fond memories of his Starcade 83 classic against Piper. But he was definitely not who I would have called
1: coming out. I will say, and this is really more of a knock on booking as a whole, the Giant has been a regular defender of his world title on Nitro. Mm-hmm. Other than Arn a couple weeks ago, he had not been facing top talent. Going back before, there's this whole mindset people have of Nitro shows up, changes all the rules of wrestling. And it's completely different than Raw, and Raw takes like two years to catch up and change everything. That's, I don't know, forty percent true. Yeah, so much of Nitro at this point, ninety six, and even ninety five when it starts, is still big time guy versus jobber. They tend to be named jobbers like Rage and Chaos and Ivolge. Right. Them. So, so much of Giant's booking as World Champion is fending off people like Cobra. And in fact, next week, he bends against Craig Pittman. So, as silly as it looks at a bubble, that like Greg Valentine really appearing in a world title match, it's surprisingly par for the course of the way they're booking the giant.
0: Fair. It's kind of like the Goldberg thing when he wins the title and the big guys don't want to face him because yeah. they don't want to, you know, have to lose.
1: Right, right,
4: exactly.
0: Do you have to say also, Greg Valentine has a great robe, black and silver? Mm-hmm. We get a nice exchange by Tony and Larry as they discuss Bobby Heenan's exit. Larry notes that Heenan never was the bravest. He's not a blood and guts kind of guy. But Tony sympathizes, saying he's scared too, to which Larry notes that Tony's not a blood and guts kind of guy either. Yeah. Tony says he's there, though, right next to Larry, to which Larry says he's lucky, to which Tony agrees, saying he's glad that Larry's there. Aw, how sweet.
2: hmm BFFs.
0: I do like, though, the the slight indications that because Tony and Larry always are a bit at odds, like yeah. like Tony and Heenan often are. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of neat to see in the midst of the NWO attack them saying, like, we actually do like working together and are happy to be yeah. together during this. And
1: Tony recognizing Larry is a fighter. So yeah, <laughs> that makes me wonder something. And obviously, I didn't really have the answer to it. There's a thing so much in modern TV now with football and baseball and basketball, especially Retired players becoming commentators. Mm-hmm. And, they, cause, and it makes sense. You can talk about, oh, this is what I did, and here's what this guy could do. Yeah, there's a lot. I don't can... get that. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, and I don't have the answer to this, where that starts. Does that go back 30, 40 years? I'm just not aware of it. Because wrestling makes good use of that. Going yes. back to, Bernard San Martino was a commentator with Vince McMahon in like 85, 86.
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: I don't think wrestling beat them to this, but I'd be curious to see...
0: Who's the first, who's yeah. the first former competitor in a sport to become a commentator in the sport is
1: wrestling doing it because say basketball or baseball did it or did basketball baseball they're doing it so much because wrestling did it
0: that's an interesting thought yeah Yeah. i have to research at some point giant makes his entrance looking intense alongside jimmy hart who is now wearing a giant face jacket in contrast to the jimmy hart face jacket he was wearing earlier in the night
1: and to clarify it is a it is a giant face but it is also a giant face
0: yes that is, that is true. <laughs> he also has a tie that bears Giant's face and his own. Nice. Larry starts to make a point about how serious he looks, but kind of trails off, losing his train of thought. <laughs> Tony throws to commercial. We're back, and we get a very nice shot of the full moon. Is Valentine now a werewolf or something? That'd be the only way he could have a chance, I'd say. Right? Yeah. Giant shows Valentine end over end valentine pokes him in the eyes and bounces off him with several clotheslines but can't take him down larry describes giant as so tall that if he falls down he's home (laughs) i've missed larry's commentary i like that line yeah giant gets annoyed and smacks valentine flat but valentine dodges a corner charge and stuns giant with a top rope double axe handle but as valentine goes to the second rope giant roars and choke slams him down Another chokeslam just for fun, and Giant gets the three-count and the win. Giant earns cheers from the crowd as Jimmy Hart races wildly around with the title belt. Giant gets up to the camera and sends a message to Hogan, telling him he wants him to listen real close. To what? Well, first, let's discuss this match. Thoughts on this one?
1: I mean, it's a pretty nothing match, obviously. The point is to have Giant come out... Not completely dominate, but basically all dominate the match. Yeah. Regardless of who was going to be there, wondering how long this would have gone. I don't think they would have treated Arn quite this badly, obviously. But still. It was not designed to be a competitive match. It was designed to show the giant, throwing a guy around, and then leading to the promo, like you see.
0: Yeah. Greg Valentine is a recognizable name to be decimated. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
1: And to his part, he, he screws nothing up. As simple as the match is... It flows really well. Having a veteran of probably this point, 20 plus years in the ring.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. All my joking aside, Greg Valentine does a perfectly good job. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Given the point of this match, which is, again, giant to demolish somebody, it works fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much the mauling that you would expect. Giant is nice enough to sell a little bit for Hammer. Respectful of Hammer's long history, I think. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't even remotely feel like Hammer has a chance here, nor should it. No. He doesn't even get Giant off his feet. No. Giant just lets Valentine bounce off him for a while until he gets annoyed and obliterates him. Right. Short but sweet, and it made Giant look strong, which is exactly what was needed. So not much of a main event, but the match is not the focus here. No. Mean Gene is in the ring with Giant and Heart. As Gene speaks, Giant does some oddly familiar flexing poses. Mm Mm-hmm
5: all right guys i thank you very much we are concluding this evening one of the i guess most different two hours that i've ever been part of of course what happened at the beginning of this program a little different tenor here at the conclusion as i talk to the man who's the wcw heavyweight champion of the world he is the giant and in short order on saturday august the 10th at hog wild this man is going to be facing hollywood hulk hogan and his new world order Well, you know something mean, Gene. I've been to the top of the mountain,
10: brother. I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death.
5: Wait a minute. Have you lost your marbles, Giant? That's a knockoff on Hogan.
10: (laughs) No, I just wanted to explain to you people at home how easy it is to fall into that con trap. Because, you know, that's exactly what Hulk Hogan did. He conned America. He told America what they wanted to hear. He made them believe in what they needed to believe in. The problem was, is he didn't believe in it himself. He comes along now in WCW with his two piranhas. He started the NWO because he knew he could never be the big fish in WCW. Right here at WCW, I have beaten the finest athletes in the world while you're making movies. I'm defending this title with every bit of honor in my body. You want your new world order? Your two piranhas? This is WCW. I guarantee you, WCW, if we don't hang together, we all will hang separately. Hogan, I've got a choke slam noose that's going to fit just right around your neck.
5: Ugh perhaps a little bonding on the part of the superstars in world championship wrestling quickly jimmy hart before we leave the air mean gene you've known me for most of my professional
6: wrestling career i eat and sleep professional wrestling 24 hours a day sometimes i lie so much i believe what i'm lying about myself and one day i'll have to pay for the
5: things i've done but i promise you this at Hogwild hogan will take you out thank you and good night from orlando everybody
0: I thought this was a brilliant bit. Mm -hmm. Giant's an impressive fighter, but he needed something extra to be taken as a face in the upcoming match after a year as a heel. Right. So, reframing his year long feud with Hogan in a different light, portraying Hogan as a career con man who never believed all the stuff he was saying, does the trick. Mm -hmm. Giant may not quite be the good guy yet, but he's given a good enough explanation for why he was trying to destroy Hogan when Hogan was still apparently a face, that he can serve the role, converting Hogwild from a heel versus heel match to a more traditional alignment. Yeah. He also provides a great call to action for WCW, providing a little hint of the eventual tradition versus anarchy kind of conflict that's going to be felt over the next year. It's honestly a shame that they had Giant join the NWO later on. Yeah, twice. Yeah, because he (laughs) could have made one heck of an inspirational face character, For instance, how we eventually see him at Spring Stampede 97. Yeah. Imagine that, but without him having been in the NWO before Mm -hmm. that point. Yeah, exactly. Man. Hart, for his part, does a really interesting promo as well, surprisingly introspective, and serving as a good way to make him a little bit more of a face as well. It also helps sell the severity of the NWO threat. Hart explains himself in the context of loving wrestling. And thus, we get the impression that the NWO isn't just a threat to inv- individual competitors, to factions, or even to WCW, but a threat to the sport of professional wrestling itself. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really strong close to the show from these guys. It's again, particularly amazing to note, Giant is a little over a year into his career. Yeah. And knocking it out of the park with promos like these. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, what a talent.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely really good. It's definitely a case of them... Putting the right people around him, mm-hmm. give him the proper coaching, training, and to really emphasize what his ability is. Right. Because I know him from when I started watching wrestling in 2000. His old thing, he starts impersonating wrestlers again, right, yeah. and he gets an SNL and shows comedy, and you're like, wow, this guy's really interesting, and they really played that in his gimmick for a long time, before they turn him face and heel 167 yes. times. Alternate between, I'm this evil guy who will destroy you, and I'm this funny guy who'll make you laugh. So yeah, it's interesting seeing sort of a middle ground on that, because he, he does his Hogan bit there, which is really nice, but then turns it on, its, on itself by being about how, how easy it is to be like this guy, but not really believe any of this.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he highlights the fact that he's doing it as a fake. Yeah. He, and yeah, he he does a great impersonation. <laughs> I can see why they eventually... I would I would bet that someone in the WWF, when he does the later impersonation bits, mm-hmm. saw that he'd done this. Was yeah. like, hey, you, you think he could do that again? And right, more extended right, exactly, gimmick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely having fun doing that. Too, yeah. Like th- this promo and the later stuff.
1: Yeah, I like your point about how they had to reframe him, because it's true. You have to forget, if you're a long-term fan watching the show, that the Giant originally wins the title from Hogan because Jimmy Hart gets Hogan disqualified in the match Yes, even though he's unofficially aligned with the Dungeon of Doom and Kevin Sullivan and the Giant, and somehow wrote into the contract that the DQ loss makes the title change hands. Yes. Mind you, that doesn't, that doesn't stick. But yeah, seeing these two as the faces defending the integrity and safety and longevity of pro wrestling, they definitely need this extra bit to get around that whole storyline.
0: Right, yeah. You You have to at the very least make them people that saw Hogan as so evil that it was worth anything to beat him. Yes. So, like I said, you haven't quite gotten them to actual full face roles. No. But you've at least given them an explanation for why they had such a vendetta against Hogan. Basically, you look at a Giant, much like Heenan in his commentary at, mm-hmm. at times, has seen Hogan for what he is all along, is the portrayal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's nice to see him, like I said, a necessary transition they have to go through for this to work.
0: Yeah? mm mm-hmm. Gene signs off, and we see the Mysterio dart spot from the attack once more, as they clearly know that they've got a special moment there. Yes. And Nitro is done. So overall thoughts on this episode of Monday Nitro?
1: It's a really strong one. It's a great example of how they can do tr- their traditional wrestling show, which obviously they haven't necessarily done that long. They've been doing it since, what, October 95, I think? Mm-hmm. They've been less than a year, but obviously you have the JCP shows. Uh, which is definitely model night to Raptor a lot and raw to compare it to. So they have this pretty solid framework of here's how wrestling show goes. And then they have this big incident happen, which derails the whole thing, makes it feel much more real and different. And then you sort of see there were a band effect to a certain extent where they have to try to then make the show back in a wrestling show again They let you see the strain of it. They don't Mm -hmm. just go, here's this thing. Anyways, next segment.
0: It feels like the company has been disrupted.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a step above having some big crazy thing of like Braun Strowman flipping over a truck or something and then going to the next match and not even talking about it.
0: Right. Because we've complained about that on earlier shows, like the Terry Funk attack on Ric Flair on one of the Wrestle Wars. I remember us saying like, yeah, a couple people mentioned things after it, but it feels like the show just kind of goes on.
2: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah
0: where this, the show does not go on. The show stops.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, so many entities you can point to as the big, shocking things, like the Nexus attack, or you have times they've had the ring be destroyed but Superplex or Powerbomb and whatnot. Those are always at the end of the show, because mm-hmm. it's so much easier to do that. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Like if you did a Nexus attack at the end of, like, hour one of Raw, and then you have to have like someone reset the ring and bring in the replacement commentators and all that stuff. It's a very different thing than just here's a shocking end of the show, see you next week when things back to normal. But we talk about how we upset we were last week.
0: Right, yeah. As I said earlier, this was a gutsy move and it's a trick that's a great trick, mm-hmm. but that I think you can only pull once. Correct. And mm-hmm. as your company, because people will not tolerate this happening too often. No. But man, the one time that you do it, if you do it right and they did, mm-hmm. then it causes such an impact.
4: Absolutely, yeah.
0: It's funny that for episodes of Nitro to review, we ended up doing this one first. Right, yeah. Because it's one of the most strange and most unusual episodes. Mm-hmm. But that's just how our schedule worked out, I guess. Yeah. For what it is, it, it's kind of brilliant. The NWO angle was good already. It was always, I think, going to be a big thing, no yeah. question. Mm-hmm. But this episode, I think, is the one that takes it from a good faction storyline to a company-changing, massive story that's about the fate of WCW itself. This is the point where the NWO becomes more than just another wrestling faction. It becomes capable of demolishing the company's primary show and completely derailing WCW's plans. Mm-hmm. It's enormously gutsy for WCW to try an episode like this. It could have lost them viewers, having so much effectively dead air, with a bunch of wrestlers just milling about as EMTs worked. Mm-hmm. But it worked. Yeah, it really, really worked, and it cemented the NWO as the angle that would take WCW to the top and keep them there for a year and a half. What about the show outside the attack? That's interesting too. The matches are sometimes strange after the NWO attack, but most are actually quite good. Yeah, only the early shows, Duggan versus Enos, is a little bit underwhelming, and even that serves its purpose to pump up the crowd with USA Chance mm-hmm. against a guy from Minnesota. And no, I haven't forgotten that. Yes. But really, everything was at least an acceptable TV match, and everyone was clearly trying their best to put on a good show tonight, aware that this had to be great, and that the crowd might need to be won back after what would be, to them, a mid-show lull. Mm -hmm. And yeah, credit to the performers for winning the crowd back quite well. I credit the Steiner screwdriver. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That'll wake anybody up except Robbie Rage. (laughs) He got knocked out pretty good. (laughs) Yes. Promos were amazing. This was one heck of a night for promo work, Mm -hmm. and for acting in general for that matter. From Duggan's heartfelt talk of Hogan's betrayal, to the varied reactions to the NWO attack, to the supremely different NWO ad, and finally to some character-redefining work by Giant and Hart in the final moments, it was all great. One of the strongest shows we've ever watched from that standpoint.
8: Mm
0: -hmm. Aside from some minor repetitiveness with the uh, four men fact during the attack aftermath, All the promos went off without a hitch and really brought the emotion, as did the commentary team. Mm -hmm. Tony, Larry, Bobby, and Eric all did a great job emphasizing the impact of the show, with Tony and Bobby particular standouts. Tony for nicely portraying the disorientation of having the show matchless pulled out from under him and trying to figure out what was going to happen. And Bobby, for a short but very good portrayal of the raw fear that someone who wasn't a fighter, and particularly someone who had a history of injuries, could have in the dangerous situation the crew now found itself in. They do have a few minor flubs here and there, in particular Eric's repeated mix-up of Ray and Eddie. Mm -hmm. One wears a mask, Eric, it's not that hard.
1: No, it's not.
0: But largely, they nail the feel of the night. Production is strong, too. On a night where there's more chaos than ever, and so much has to go right, it pretty much does. Yeah. Seriously, this is WCW's crew. I'm used to them missing critical moments. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, tonight, they gave us some of the most famous shots in WCW history, including the immortal Rey Mysterio dark throw, some excellent coverage of the aftermath that looks very news footage, some great camera work to emphasize mood during promos, and one of the most artistic promos WCW has ever done with the NWO ad buy. They get so much right here. Are Mm -hmm. we sure this is the same crew? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a Nitro like no other, taking place at a critical moment where the NWO storyline was just getting going and needed to get bigger, more unpredictable, and more exciting, and that this Nitro 100% provides. If you have not seen this Nitro, please do take the time. It is so so different from anything else WCW does that it is well worth the experience. Agreed, yeah. All right, our match of the night and MVP. So, Al, your match of the night.
1: For me, I think it's the six-man match. Okay. It's the most enjoyable in terms of has so much varied action, has varied people. Like I said, they're able to do big spots, take the bumps, and then to tag out mm-hmm. to keep the flow going. It's an advantage you have in these multi-man matches with so many veterans like Benoit and Luger and Sting and Flair especially in there. They keep the thing moving really nicely. They're able to highlight people like Mongo getting their moments. Even if it doesn't have an actual ending, it's not a DQ ending. It's the story taking over, which ends the match. So I don't really fault the match for that.
0: I'm going to agree with you. I'll go with the six-man tag. Yes, it does get interrupted, but it gets interrupted for one of WCW's greatest ever angles. Mm -hmm. So I can't hold that against them. No. And before that, it's great action with tremendous intensity, building on angles that have been running for months and performed a couple Mongo spots aside with precision and reliable excellence. So it was a lot of fun. Agreed. Uh, MVP?
1: This is a tricky one. There's a lot of good people on the show, which Mm -hmm. is good. I could definitely see doing with Tony because he has to stick through the whole show. Same as Larry does. Mm -hmm. But Larry, for his part, gets to be the reaction guy to Tony. Tony's got to be the, for all intents and purposes, the straight man, the normal commentary guy in the show. Larry can pop in and say things, but then Tony's got to keep them going straight. Mm -hmm. Heenan is a really strong, quick appearance in the show. He really nails, the, like said, the realism they're going for this, you feel for him here. Mm-hmm. He wants to do the show. He likes talking with and he loves wrestling. He's worried about his long-term health and his right, life. Yeah. And he's, he can't stick around for the show. I could almost see giving it to Robbie Raid for being willing to take the standard <laughs> screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. You poor man, better you than me. Oh, God, yeah. Likewise... Ray taking the bump of arguably the year. Yes, oh my God. Uh, with that Londart spot. I mean, that could have gone wrong in so many ways. Credit for him for doing that and selling the aftermath properly, just being down for that. Mm-hmm. And to your point at the end, Giant for really taking the first big steps in turning from, yes, he's a heel, aligned with this confusing, but not really creatures anymore dungeon of doom it's a weird point for them because they're trying to get more serious but they're still called the dungeon of doom i think for me in terms of impactfulness i gotta go with heenan okay it's it's a hard choice i could definitely see him a giant for me with giant i think if he had appeared even just a little bit in part of the aftermath of the attack i think I, I could have been an extra thing there mm-hmm Take nothing away from what he does. He just—I think he's not quite enough, and it's—it's early in this transition that he's not quite there. But it's a really strong show.
0: Yeah, I kind of was expecting that you might go go for Heenan because that's Mm -hmm. just that is such a impressive moment. Like for a guy that's on the show for I don't know maybe a grand total of thirty to forty five seconds. Yeah, he is a part that I will remember strongly, Mm -hmm. which is a good argument for being an MVP. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, there are so many good performances on this show particularly in terms of promos or reactions to the attack. Mm -hmm. Jim Duggan's early promos. Great giant and hearts show closer that you mentioned. Excellent. Bobby Heenan, of course, uh, I I agree. That's a strong one. I'm going to go to another person that you mentioned though. Okay. I'm going to give it to the one guy that highlighted the themes all night long. That's Tony Schiavone Mm -hmm. on a night that could have gotten confusing or even boring without someone keeping things moving and highlighting the right points. Tony did an amazing job keeping everything together while bringing out themes and tension in the storyline. He kept everything moving and kept everything together while looking like he was having trouble keeping it together, which is a hard balance to strike.
1: For sure. It's an
0: amazing commentary job. This night does not work without a good commentary performance. Mm -hmm. And Tony was at the heart of that. Agreed. Yeah. And that wraps up our review of WCW Monday Nitro from July 29th, 1996. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Links will be available in the episode description. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about each show as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Verbal, or Audible. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for TV ratings, WrestlingData.com for attendance figures, and Gina Trujillo for our logo. Next up Hog Wild 1996. Ain't no easy riders here. Oh, and I was really looking forward to Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper versus Kevin Nash and Scott Hall.
1: I could see I'm riding out wearing the Captain America helmet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgen, signing off.
0: Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling. Back to the ring for our second match. As Tony tells us, this is the match we were scheduled to have last week. Which I think is when, um, yeah, sorry, did I not, I don't think I actually mentioned the, oh, because I forgot to mention that part of it. Let me cut this in and I'll put it back to where it was supposed to go.
3: Okay.